friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. (laughs) Top of the morning to you. Monday morning, bright and early, actually, or middle of the morning, depending on where you are. Hey, it's going to be a great show. Uh, We're going to get into politics. We're going to get into mowage. And if you're lucky, we might even give you a little parenting advice today. I spent uh, the weekend very closely connected to my family, so I'm excited for some parenting advice. Or distance from your family. Yeah. My family, they're leaving. They're going to spring break All as right. a family. They're going to Daytona Beach, Florida to just go party with all the spring breakers. Just wow. My wife and my five boys, four boys. Hmm. It's kind of scary. They're going to be in one of those videos, crazy videos, spring break videos. I doubt it. I actually think they're going to sit around a pool freezing. Ha! But I get to stay up here and just work. Would you rather go spring breaking, get some sun, or just be able to do the show? I would probably just continue my day-to-day as normal. Yeah. Avoid the hassle of travel. That's, That's kind what, of where that, I am. Wow. That's what I'm doing too. It's and honestly, it's uh, it's not spring break. We won't be as tan, but we also will have a very calm life. Right? Sounds sad. <sighs> Don't mind me. I'm just a little down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. How was your holiday? Did you guys do anything fun for the holidays, James? Did you? You're still engaged. A little engagement. Still in, Yep. Still engaged. Uh, and we're still doing this on May 2nd, 17. Yep. Okay. 26 days away. But who's counting? I mean, come on. Apparently you're counting. Wow. I I thought you're the one that reminded me. You said, put up your, we need you to put up your, um, I'll put it up, put up the counter because everyone needs to know. Countdown to doom. May 2nd. That's the date, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Remember six days later, my birthday. There's a connection. What's more important? Obviously the wedding. It is the wedding of the millennium. It's almost the wedding of the millennium. 26 days, 9 hours, 11 minutes, and 1 second. Now it's now ten minutes. 26 days, 9 hours, 10 minutes, and 52 seconds. Hey, uh, why didn't you ever do a countdown for anything else on the show? You only have done the countdown for your wedding. Because I don't think – Anything else is of the millennium, you know, has such uber significance. Well, I mean, the show, we started a show, a brand new morning show. (laughs) There should be a countdown to next day's show every single day. It's not a bad idea. 22 hours until the next show of the millennium. Yeah. Any news? Speaking of Easter, Pope Francis Uh, has his Easter. Oh, I'm sorry. Were we speaking of Easter? I don't think we were, were talking about Easter. That's why we we're moving on. Easter well, you mentioned hunt. how's your Easter, and then you always go, "Hey, are I, you still getting no, married?" No, I don't think I mentioned how's your Easter. I said how's your weekend. But you mentioned how's your holiday. How was your Easter? How, how was your Easter? I had a three-year-old sit on my face and go, "Dad, we have to go find candy." 
Where were you? Laying in bed. I was asleep. It was 8 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Like, He's like poking weird. my head. Wake up, Dad. We've got to go find candy. Candy. Got candy. Did the Easter egg come? Did the Easter bunny come? Yes. Wow, I love that. Exploded all over my house. So did ours. All over our yard. We had neighbors try to do an impromptu Easter egg hunt in our front yard. They didn't tell us. They just dropped eggs everywhere and left. So we came out about noon to go to my in-laws' house. Did it smell just... like rotten eggs? No, they were just the plastic eggs full of candy. Uh-huh. But they're all over the lawn. How neat. Well, yeah, except well, they should have said something. We would have gone neighbors. out and found them. Man. Okay, anyway, so do you have any news about Absolutely. Easter? Pope Francis. Yes. Talking about Easter. He, he, now you can segue because we talked He does it. an Easter Sunday message. Yes. And he said uh, he asked for peace above all in Syria and Iraq and called the, uh, on the world to address the immense humanitarian tragedy in the mm-hmm. two countries. Also mentioned his plea for peace were in Ukraine, Libya, Yemen, Nigeria, Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and the Israeli-Palestine conflict. The world's messed up. Did you know that? See, the Pope's like, pray for the world. He's like, come on. That's right. The, the world is a little messed up. Uh, and he spoke in the rain at St. Peter's Square. The Pope also tried to draw attention to the persecuted Christians around the world. Hmm. That was cool. Yeah. That's what we need. We need you know somebody to be above it all. President Obama defended the framework agreement on the uh, Iran's nuclear program Sunday, calling it a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Not an agreement. A framework. Framework. For an agreement. For an agreement. And now he's got to go sell it. He added that the deal has a chance of success because of how much bigger and more powerful the United States is compared to Iran. Yeah. We're big. They can't really do much to us. That's kind of what he said. But Israel. Tell that to Israel. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Netanyahu. Yeah, yeah, Bibi. Bibi, your personal friend, said Sunday he continued (laughs) to call for the rejection of the framework of a multi-country deal with Iran that seeks to limit the country's nuclear capabilities. I'm not trying to kill any deal. I'm trying to kill a bad deal, is what he says. But how is this a bad deal? A, it's not even a deal. It's a framework. He argued that the current plan leaves the preeminent terrorist state of our time with a vast nuclear infrastructure. It doesn't do anything to limit what they have right now. No, but I thought they have to limit the 300 whatever. Centrifuges? Yeah, down to 20 whatever. Yeah, well. That seems like that would be. But then there's like a 15-year time limit, and then they get it all back. I know, but by then. And they're not going to just forget all the research they've done and all the testing and all that stuff's still going to be there so they can just continue. I know, but it's just crazy because right now they just keep growing it anyway. He went on to say that not one centrifuge is being destroyed. They're being set aside, put in storage. So they're still going to be there. Um, However, according to the parameters of the deal released by the U.S. State Department, Iran has agreed to reduce installed centrifuges by two-thirds and place the existing in international monitored storage. uh, That's what Putin wants. Hey, we'll we'll hold them. Putin's like, bring them over here. Russia was going to de-weaponize. I'm not sure where that stands. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Lindsey Graham, from mm. uh, senator from South Carolina on Sunday, faulted President Obama for a weak Iranian nuclear deal because he claimed the Iranians don't fear, nor do they respect the president. True. The best deal, I think, comes with a new president, Graham, a potential 2016 <laughs> candidate. Said, we need a president in 2016. Fa- he said Hillary Clinton would do better. I think everyone on our side, except maybe Ron Paul, could do better. Wow. So he said Hillary could do better. I think I think I told you Hillary before the could show do different. better than Obama. Yes, but Ron Paul. But not Ron Paul. <laughs> He's horrible. He can't because do Ron anything. Paul's about to announce in a couple days. Yes. See, it's all political. 
Uh, you know what's funny is, hey guys, it's the funny thing about the framework is it's something. It's, it's a framework. something. Yeah, nothing's it, been set in stone. Everything's no. going to be negotiated. The very least, June we 30th. at least would maybe if this all went through, you'd have inspectors on the ground spying. <laughs> Except you're not supposed to call it that. Okay. And in other non-political news. Okay. Wisconsin versus Duke tonight. Holy cow! For the NCAA tournament. Wisconsin. Disappointing most of the nation by knocking off Kentucky. Yeah. Yesterday, a ESPN commentator put out that this is disappointing. It's a huge letdown. Kentucky not in the final game has everyone just disinterested. And then the uh, Wis- the Wisconsin basketball Twitter account replied with, "Sorry about that. Sorry for doing our so- job. Sorry we won. Sorry we went out there and beat the beat Kentucky. And then you have uh, what Duke." They're going in. There wasn't even a cliffhanger. They just blew them out. Yeah. I wonder who's supposed they won to, in a route over Michigan to win State. this. I'm not sure. I haven't seen it in the uh, – I would think favored. if you're Wisconsin, the Dragon Slayer. I imagine Duke because Duke beat them earlier in the season. They beat Wisconsin. But at the time, Wisconsin was missing a player or he wasn't a 100%. Yeah. So he's more healthy. So Sure, underestimate know. Wisconsin. Go ahead. This is the second title game appearance for uh, – Wisconsin, mm. and uh, Duke last won their uh, a title in 2010. So See, Wisconsin, kind of we're looking there. Daniel, uh, no, yeah, uh, um, Goliath, David and Goliath. What about Wisconsin him? went in there like David, took out Goliath. They did. <clears throat> take that, take that. Well, that was that was fun. That was a, that's always fun. To, I, I like the underdog. Man, did you see the hands of that Okafor? Yeah, from Duke. Holy cow, dude. It's like yeah. he's holding a little grapefruit. He's holding a regulation basketball in this picture that went out on Twitter. And he's holding, it looks like he's, yeah, he's holding a grapefruit. It really, his and hand. Then you, then you find out his free throw percentage is just abysmal. Well, it's because he can't get that and, ball and out. And a lot of times when you, when you have your hand that big, you can't yeah. get a real touch on the ball because it's like you're throwing a Nerf yeah. ball around. That's why it's better to have little baby doll hands. You can have control <laughs> over the ball as you shoot it, so yeah. Oh, yes. How fun is that? Well, uh, good stuff. We, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into politics. We're going to call in our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He's going to join us. He's going to pick his brains, everything going on, and try to just get a, a basic understanding. I mean, remember, so much of this is tainted with politics and just, you know, positioning. Ugh. We just want to give you a, a heads up so you kind of know what's really going on in the debate So when it comes up at the office, you can speak, you know, intelligibly. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with Joe Cannon right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, most of the major cable stations, news channels, it's all about politics, right? They're constantly talking about politics, what's going on in the headlines. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's. it's just good to know the backstory to some of these things or at least some of the arguments or the history behind some of these topics. So we, we bring in our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, Joe uh, has been um, had a had a vast experience in in politics and also, you know, kind of in front of the camera, but also behind the scenes as well. 
he is the chairman or was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party. He is currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find uh, at fuelfreedom.org, where they're fighting to, to do everything they can to decrease fuel costs for Americans. Um, he also was a candidate for U.S. Senate back in 1992, served uh, as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and also was an editor or was the editor for Deseret News, um, which is a, it's a big job. It's a big paper. So he also understands the uh, kind of the media side of it as well. Joe Cannon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, great to be here, Matt. Hey, thanks I really for. I hope my mom is listening. She's always <laughs> say nice things. I well, really appreciate it. We ought to tape it and then we can just play it for her. <laughs> hey, Joe, but it's all true. We need somebody that can teach us some of the history here. I mean, there's so many news stories going on, and it's if you're not careful, you, we may not actually understand what is the big deal and why it's going on. Talk to us a little bit about uh, this Iranian nuclear deal. I mean, it went through now. By the way, it's not even a deal. It's a framework for a deal. Um, But just maybe give us the background. What's going on? Because we we know and we've talked in the past, Israel doesn't like it. The U.S. uh, Republican Congress doesn't necessarily like it. The president's been fighting for it. Educate us. Well, just to start out with my usual caveat disclaimer, I'm actually not a foreign policy expert, but... (laughs) <laughs> I, I have read uh, much of the details of the of this framework, and when you just read it on its surface, actually, it think, you think, "Wow, that's pretty good that's deal." Not so bad, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it moves it moves the ball forward, um, and so just anyway, reading the plain words of it. However, then you read the uh, Iranian perspective on it, oh. and. Uh, all of a sudden you get a little bit. They're rejoiced literally, I mean literally, rejoicing in the streets. Yeah. Um, So, and lots of other people are not rejoicing in the streets. By the way, the Washington Post editorialized about this, and this isn't just a columnist, this is their editorial board saying, we need to be very cautious about this deal, close quote. So, So one wag said, yeah, this deal might be great if we were dealing with Belgium or... England or France, yeah. but we're, we're dealing with Iran, which does not have a history of fidelity to agreements. To a deal, so right. One, one, one issue that why people are nervous, and then when you actually dig into a lot of the details, well, yeah, they're going to destroy you know, some of their um, uh, capability, but it turns out it's the old part and the new part, the new ones are you know, much more effective. Hmm. It, um Anyway, there's just the back and forth. Here's the one thing that is absolutely clear out of this, is that sanctions will go away. There's a little bit of a, a, a dispute about how fast they'll go away and what kind of verification it is. But the reason the Iranian people, as well as the leaders, are rejoicing is those when those sanctions go away, and I'm going to say when now, because at this point, we, our side, both us in Europe, have said, they're going away. Yeah. That, that's the heart of the deal. So when that happens, regardless of what Iran has agreed to, the one clear thing is that they'll have many billions of dollars a year in revenue to do whatever they want. And what do they want? Well, they Destroy still are, yeah. want a nuclear bomb. They still are funding much of the terrorism in the Middle East all across the whole region. So 
All this does, the one thing we know that it does is it strengthens them economically and to do to do lots of things, most of which are bad. Okay. Well, when the foreign minister came back he, to to Iran, he came back as a hero, a conquering exactly. hero, which means they the sanctions actually must be working because everybody is so against them. Exactly. Certainly, they're hurting. Yeah. You know, usually, just from my own personal perspective, I'm not a big fan of sanctions. They don't often work. They mostly don't work. This just happens to be a case where you've got Europe and the United States imposing sanctions, and that hurts because, you know, just uh, for example, it was just the United States imposing sanctions. Iran would just sell oil to uh, to Europe, right. and they still have revenue. But now, pretty much all their big sources of revenue are cut off, and that's going away. And, and almost no one disputes that that's going away sooner or later. Hmm. Um, now, of course, you've got the whole domestic situation uh, uh, that's, that could be different. Congress really wants to play in this. Uh, some Democrats still want to play in this. Uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, they, we we have the now the now new deadline is June. That was always the deadline, but the, the we 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 did meet this deadline in terms of getting a framework. So that's that's a good thing. Aren't they also? Oh, go ahead, Joe. No, go go ahead. Well, it, it seems like what they're mad about. So you know, Iran is a is a state of terror. They they finance and they fund terror organizations. They've we know their hands have been in many of the wars we've been fighting against, and so now all of a sudden, remove the sanctions, improve the financial status of the country, and then that money is going to go, I guess, to continue terrorism, funding terrorists. Well, here are two. Here. Two statements that actually have been made within the last days in the context of this uh, negotiation. One is still death to America. You still have Iranian leaders saying the words death to America, right, while we're doing this negotiation. <laughs> yeah. And then B, they say, listen, one of the things that's not going to be on the table is we're still all about annihilating Israel, and that's not negotiable to us. So forget about recognizing Israel's right to exist fundamental to the Iranian worldview is the annihilation of Israel. Hmm. And so when somebody says, well, you know, but at least we're checking their uh, their nuclear arsenals now, I mean, with this deal, that's why, that's why Israel's like, yeah. we don't care. No matter what about this, if, as long as we're their target, none of this is good. Yeah. Well, so much happens behind the scenes, and as I said, I'm not an expert, but the way it sounds at this point is the quote inspections close quote are, you know, hey, we're going to come over and talk to you guys and look at you guys and you know give a little notice here. And, yeah. In other words, you have a company bent on making a nuclear bomb, and the one thing that is also clear in this is it is not unambiguous. You get no bomb. That, that's not yeah. even if you even in the light least favorable to either side on this. It says you get a bomb. The only question is, is it now? Is it 10 years in some people's reading? Is it 15 years in some people's reading? Is it one year in some people's reading? So if they decide to abrogate the agreement, they've got a year to go. So there's the one thing that's clear here is that there is not an unequivocal 
lying in the ground. You cannot have a nuclear bomb no matter what. Yeah, that, that's already conceded. That's conceded. Hmm. It's just a question of when. Hmm. So it's – yeah, so there you go. So Israel just knows – yeah, we're, I guess we're prolonging the inevitable. Wow. Right. Does what about the president, President Obama? It, it seems like he's put a lot on this one. He, he's got a lot yeah. riding in this on this horse. This is his foreign policy, you know, it's crown it's jewel. Foreign policy legacy. There's no question that that's how he views this, and certainly how John Kerry views this, and, and putting it in its best light for the president uh, would say that what it appears that he believes that we may have chosen the wrong set of allies, and I'm not just talking about Israel in the Middle East, talking about the whole, um, I'm just going to call it the the Saudi side of things. Yeah. And saying, look, Iran has a long, long, you know, 4,000-year history as a nation. It's got a great culture. Yeah, there's a little aberration (laughs) going on right now, but they are a, they could be, they could be our partner in altering the balance of power in the Middle East in, a, in such a way that, that promotes peace or at least uh, stability. And I, I think that is a uh, – well, it doesn't matter what I think. I think well, but, he says that. Yeah. That, that, that is a fundamental tenet of his worldview. But so that's what you, see here. you can create stability immorally, right? I mean, you could well, – not the, the, well, I, you know, I, I mean, again, I'm not a foreign policy yeah. expert, but I will just say that uh, Libya was pretty stable under Muammar Gaddafi. Now it's a nightmare. Yeah, right. People are being slaughtered. Uh, Iraq was Syria, pretty stable. Yeah, uh, uh, Iraq was stable. Now it's unstable. Uh, Yemen was stable. <laughs> now it's unstable. So they may have been. Europe, Egypt was stable. Then it was unstable with the, quote, Arab Spring, close quote, where everybody uh, rejoiced in democracy. Then these Muslim Brotherhood gets in and proceeds to kill all, start killing all their enemies. They were, they, they, the general population pled for the army to come back in and, and restore order. So now we do have order in Egypt that is under a dictatorship. Uh, so I, 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 there's no... Perfect good versus perfect evil. Right. It's always going to be messy over there. No, that's. I think that's the point in the end. Let's By take the way, a break. Making a deal with Iran is also making a deal with a, a totalitarian dictatorship. Right. In this case, one that has a you know a religious fundamental element to it. Yeah. Well, I mean that's and that's a whole new world, right? And that's a whole new story. Um, in and of itself. Let's take a break, Joe, and come back. I really want to get into what's going on in Indiana, Arkansas, the religious freedom bills. I want to, I want to hear your take on big business stepping into big politics or big, uh, you know, kind of big movements like that. Also, uh, apparently Hillary and Rand Paul are going to be announcing relatively quickly their new, uh, their new candidacy as presidential candidates. We're going to talk about that with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. After the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
We talk about the craziest stuff at the breaks. I'm telling you, James comes alive. He just won't stop talking during the breaks, that is. Hey, we are on the phone with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Uh, Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. He's doing what he can to end the monopoly on oil. See if he couldn't uh, reduce some of the prices for us here in the United States uh, uh, with our fuel costs. Wouldn't that be great? Just a great website, fuelfreedom.org. And uh, Joe, welcome back. Thanks for pulling over and not uh, driving while talking on the phone. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I think your mom would be proud of that, too. That's right. So, Joe, talk about um, the Indiana-Arkansas religious freedom bills. That that got crazy um, messy uh, very quickly. And it was really interesting to see. I mean, a lot of times it takes years to create legislation. But once those bills were passed, or at least Indiana's bill was passed, man, they couldn't come back fast enough and change that. Right. Well, I would say, you know, I, I'm speaking to you in Utah. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and the, the reason that's relevant is Utah addressed in this last legislative session the very similar kinds of issues. Yeah. And, and I'll come back to the foundation of what those issues actually are in a second. But, but what they did is they met with the uh, gay rights community. They met with other churches. They met with legislators. Uh, they met with all interested people. And they basically came out. This is, in essence, a piece of legislation that says, look, uh, we you cannot discriminate against people uh, on a lot of different bases, but certainly not on the basis of their uh, orient, sexual orientation, hmm. on the one hand. On the other hand, religious people still have rights uh, for their own, A, expression, and B, whether they can be compelled by the state, by the government, to participate in activities that they that are contrary to their religious conscience, i.e., performing marriages and, and, and things like that. So I don't want to. We could spend a ton of time on that, but that's that, that's how Utah did it. It was widely hailed. Uh, you did a you did a piece on yeah. this on the Brookings Institution. Uh, in Washington, a very reputable think tank. Governor Levitt's uh, going to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, he, he was um, on the committee, actually went back to the Brookings Institute to speak about it, and he's going to spend about a half hour, 35 minutes with us, teaching us the kind of the framework for how they how they talked about it. So instead, the difference, though, I guess, in Indiana, they they protected the religious side of it without necessarily simultaneously protecting the LGBT community. That, that's right. I, I think, as I understand it. But let me say what the fundamental clash is now yeah. and is going to be, and it's going to be at the Supreme Court. So under the Constitution, there are certain protected classes, either under the, the original Constitution or under the amendments to the Constitution. So basically race, religion, and we've now included gender because of we uh, uh, women voting, women suffering. So, so they're all, those are kind of the main uh, groups that can be protected under the Constitution. Now, the question is, is are, do gay rights rise to that level? Hmm. Of course, people on that side say yes, and people on the other side say no, that they're not a protected class. You shouldn't discriminate against them. So in other words, uh, the Utah position was, no, you shouldn't discriminate 
but you could but you need to balance the rights of religion versus the rights of the LGBT that BT community. And and that issue is going to eventually have to get resolved by by the Supreme Court uh, because you have a clash now of a, a direct clash of interests here one of which is protected by the first amendment in fact the very first words of the first amendment are about religious liberty mm. right the free the free exercise of religion and so the question is what does that what kind of of um, uh, what, what 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 does it mean? What what does that mean in today's context? So I think the way you try to address that is okay. You you can't discriminate. And others, people are entitled to go into a store, buy gasoline, uh, uh, do you know what, whatever they can do without fear of discrimination. Right. On the other hand, uh, people of a religious conscience uh, can't be uh, uh, prohibited from their either their free exercise of religion or or their uh, free expression of religion. See, that's where it gets uh, – that gets into what they call the accommodation, which makes – that's where it gets a lot more complicated, doesn't it? We understand right. that if you're a pastor and you have a religious belief that says, I, should, I don't want to have to marry somebody that's against – my value system or my belief set, I shouldn't have to marry that person. That's one argument. But then there's but then this all got into the whole pizza deal. The whole does the pizza owner of a pizza company have to provide pizzas? And and it seems like the minute you get into like these weird accommodation situations, kind of they're always the, the extremes. Um Maybe is is are there certain situations, Joe, where there's just not, it's just not going to make everyone happy, right? And that's why eventually this is going to get decided by the Supreme Court. They've already decided lots of issues around religion, by the way, and, and also around uh, uh, gay issues. So it's not like these are new issues right. to the court. But this this clash between a a fundamental right, and then what constitutes a fundamental right? That's that's mm. what's coming up. You re- recall that the Supreme Court already decided the Hobby Lobby case, yeah. which isn't exactly all on, on point with this situation. That it was an issue where the could the government compel an entity that had a religious view to do something contrary to its religious view? Right. So that that issue has been decided. As a matter of fact, and, and that, that's where they said uh, organizations, companies, corporations have uh, they are like a person. They have a right to they have, exercise they have a First religion. Amendment right. They have a First Amendment right too. Right? Huh. Exactly. So, what do you? Th- be, I mean, it's it's, it's a from a lawyer's perspective, uh, it's a it's a very very interesting yeah. uh, uh, issue. It seems but like it's more than interesting. It is. Uh, you mentioned in your earlier on, you know, what, what is the role of big business in this? Yeah. Uh, the fact is, a class of people who could end up being discriminated against on the basis of religion by business are Christians. People who have a Christian worldview. Uh, what happens if companies say, you know, we're not giving you a job because your church believes this? Yeah. Is that discrimination uh, uh, under the First Amendment and under... Uh, legislation, yeah. I mean, you, you start you start thinking about the rights of everyone involved here, and uh, yeah, if Apple comes out uh, and says, you know what, 
we just can't hire um, Baptists who believe that homosexuality is a sin. That's that's counter to our culture and our company. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, everyone has rights in this picture, not just some people have rights. That was a big part of the Utah legislation was that um, you have the rights to have a your and to even uh, communicate and voice your your conscience at home, and your company can't discriminate against what you've said, uh, you know, on your Facebook page about whatever your beliefs are. Your company so can't in, discriminate. In, in, in Canada and in European countries, uh, uh, many sermons given in Christian churches would be deemed to be hate speech mm. and prohibited. That, yeah. that's, that's today. That's already happening today in other countries that don't have the primacy of the religion religion protections in their constitutions. Isn't it so, interesting? Yeah, so it's, it's very it's very legitimate uh, concern. What could a Christian say or do in 2015 and later? Well, and it's it's almost like it's a discussion that to me seems like the maturing of America. We're finally having discussions at this level, which says, you know, we're entering our teens. <laughs> we're finally growing up as America and needing to clarify certain belief sets. But meanwhile, you know, uh, legislation starts to pass and then corporations start to fight against Indiana saying we will not, you know, we're not going to be a part of that Final Four, all this stuff. Um, and and so there's kind of a backlash, but then that's still their right. I mean, I guess that's part of this is you have the freedom to speak as a pizza company owner or pizza you know, shop, but there's also going to be a backlash, but the backlash still can't be, you know, it can't be threatening your livelihood or your life. It's a, it's a crazy – so you have the right to say something, and yet you do, and then there's major backlash. So it's almost like tolerance has historically gone one way, but it needs to. We all need to learn that it needs to go both ways. Uh, so it sounds like we lost Joe um, in the middle of that discussion, but that is one of the big keys to this entire, uh, you know, uh, I guess um, conversation that's going on. With Indiana and Arkansas, and it's honestly, folks, such an interesting concept because it is we we need to be able to protect both sides of the argument: the LGBT rights, so they're treated equally, they're not discriminated against, and then the right of somebody to have a conscience, a way of thinking, and their their ability to share what they believe without you know having punitive, um, unsafe attacks. On them or their character. Anyway, it's fascinating. So uh, we lost Joe Cannon. He's on the way to uh, the airport, and he pulled over for us. But let's let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we've got more headlines to get into. Also, want to just talk about Hillary. Apparently, Hillary's getting in the game. She just uh, leased some office space, and uh, we're going to be easily, uh, you know, talking about Hillary for the next. I don't know. Two years, probably, at least. Uh, also, Rand Paul might be getting in the game as well. He made a big announcement that he's making a big announcement. Politics, folks. We'll take a break, come back, discuss even more of this fun right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in uh, in this hour, we always like to get everybody caught up on the politics. Now, I know a lot of you just don't like politics. The reality is you got to be informed, folks. Hello. Life is short, and uh, I don't know if you've heard, but there's an election going on. Soon. Yeah, that's true. No one's, I mean. Well, there's an election for Ted Cruz. One guy's declared. <laughs> He's in the game. Everyone else is waiting for tax purposes to declare a little later. Hillary, they're thinking she just got some new uh, some new digs. I had some on that. Political reported Friday that uh, Hillary Clinton's team has leased office space in Brooklyn, presumably for her upcoming run, but she might just be expanding her personal staff for you know shopping well, or something. I know that Bill Clinton was in Brooklyn. I thought Hillary Clinton was always in D.C. What if you're going to put together? Well, she she lives in New York State. Yeah, so maybe she just wanted a nice office in Brooklyn. The move leaves Clinton with two weeks to announce her bid before she violates the Federal Election Commission's campaign finance laws. Oh boy! Time notes that Clinton's lease space encompasses thirty thousand more square feet than President Obama's re-election headquarters, wow. which were in the Prudential Building in Chicago. She's got a big building space. By the way, why would you? It seems like I wouldn't want my office on one coast if I'm trying to win an election. Well, you have to have a home base. Yeah, but and then you know computers, York, you can yeah. be anywhere. I mean, I guess that's where all the people are, but you got to travel everywhere, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but like you, Chicago, Obama was in Chicago. That's a little more central. Well, that was his home. Yeah, place where he was. That's where he was a senator. No, but from. I thought when you're running, you don't go home. Well, no, you don't. You go but to you everywhere have, in the world. You have a home office where a lot of the planning comes out of, and you're flying all over the place. I put it in Iowa, and then when you win Iowa, then I'd go. I'd have one off. I'd have a big office in so New Hampshire. Throw it in an RV. Move, and move to every big city. Yeah, that's it. An RV. Have a have like a big RV lot. It's not a bad idea. Put that down. I might uh, go buy a bunch of RVs for the political race. So uh, Rand Paul's also getting in. Allegedly. Allegedly. April 7th, they say. Everything's allegedly. You know what else? He's going to be a different kind of Republican leader. That's the announcement he said. What does that mean? We have a big announcement on April 7th where I'm going to be a different kind of American leader. And what does that mean? It means he's going to be a different kind. So we don't know. Okay. Of American leader. (laughs) A Republican leader. Different kind. So the the old Republican leaders? Not like that. Oh, okay. It's going to be different. So more welcoming? Don't know. But uh, are you saying the old Republicans weren't welcoming? That was kind of— They've been known for that. That was kind of uh, some things that the Republican Party came out after Obama won his second term and said that, well, you know, there's some uh, areas we need to fix. We need to be more welcoming to— uh, Latinos yeah. and minorities and women, uh, and yeah. we can't just. So keep are they going to be more deport? Deport? Yeah. yeah. Are, are they going to welcome, well, or at least have more of a uh, all-encompassing message? What I do know is he's going to be different. That's what yes, I'm he'll he's, be a different kind of Republican leader. He's probably going to be, be using a uh, a different kind of shade of red for yes, his campaigning materials. Is. I think he's using kind of a burnt. Red, yeah, Ooh. like a brick red, uh, a little darker than brick. Okay, okay, not the traditional, not the traditional uh, lighter uh, red, lighter Republican red. Yeah, it, it'll be a different kind. Yeah, of red, a magenta. No, no, no. that's too far. That, that's yeah. too far. No, okay. that's that's almost a rhino. Oh wow! So we're okay. Yeah. We're talking about elephant, elephant red. Yeah, you know, think of an elephant. 
Okay. Red. Like that. I think that's the name of the color he might be using. Elephant, elephant red. red. Yeah. Well, it, I think it's actually called a different kind of elephant red. Oh, yep. But that's because remember, Bush said he was a kinder, gentler. Yes. Conservative. So I think what they try to do is reframe. Here's I have a view. You can't be something for years and then just say you're something different. Because isn't that what they, you know, that's what they were like. Romney's just the etch-a-sketch guy. They're just going to try to etch-a-sketch, shake it off. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, Not, You can only do that so many times and then it, your true colors. Yeah. As we were talking about colors start to show. Yeah. Talk right. about showing your true colors. Senator Robert Menendez allegedly took bribes. He's He's in some serious trouble. But some are saying this is the Obama administration trying to shut him down. And he's a Democrat. Yeah. Isn't Except he? they've been investigating him for five years. Yeah. So but, uh, finally, this isn't a new investigation. But check this out. So he's one of the biggest Democratic uh, – what is it? Opponents. Opponents to the Iran deal. And so right when the Iran deal is going down and he's getting all mouthy. Yeah. Booyah. It looks conspicuous. Mm-hmm. But that's when they decide to bring the charges down. Until you start looking at the charges and you're like, huh. Well, it was. So you have this friend who's an eye surgeon in Florida and he got some benefit from some Medicare legislation that you helped to pass. And then yeah. he somehow a donation ends up in a super PAC that's directed at your election for what is it like seven hundred thousand dollars or something and yeah then there's some visas for some quote-unquote there's some models models from ukraine, from the ukraine. <laughs> brazil and the dr you just know fun stuff but you know honestly it's just a bunch of friends right and they're models friends but where's that line well between a friend and a bribe well what robert menendez needs is to be a different kind of democratic, democratic leader with fewer friends and fewer models from the Ukraine. A darker shade of blue? Yeah. His is going to be more purpley. I think his is like – his is going to be like – I think the color of his blue is like bruised. It's a bruised blue. Or is that purple? We could go with indigo. Mm. He's going with an indigo. Let's go with indigo. Yeah. Hmm. Well, good luck to Hillary and Rand. Remember Senator Tom Cotton? Oh, yeah. From Arkansas? Yep. He had the forty-seven senators yeah. that were against Signed the Iranian document. deal. You bet. Over the weekend, you mean the there was Iranian a deal. Iranian, Iranian, whatever. You say tomorrow. In an interview with the New York Times, Senator Cotton addressing his open letter to Iran. Also, uh, the truly serious stuff was in this interview. Like when he uh, runs, he runs nearly every morning. He goes, "I do it so I can indulge in the guilty pleasure of eating birthday cake every day." Wow. Early on, when I met my wife, we were dating. We went to the grocery store. I told her that sometimes I just buy birthday cakes. He goes, I eat them. I like birthday cake. I like birthday cake every day. And so it's he that, just buys birthday cake. But it's that gross white sheet yeah. cake with the sugary. real sugary. Mm. Yeah, that gives Sounds you. horrible. Yeah, that cake. That's the cake he likes. And so he eats that every day. He jogs to you eat You know cake. what? That, by the way, right there, that is a great definition of a different kind of Republican leader. Absolutely. He admits he likes his cake, and he likes to eat it, too. That, and apparently, he was one of the only Republicans to hang around D.C. during the Easter break, because everyone else goes home. Oh, sure. But he was available to talk all weekend. I got all weekend. My family went on spring break. Hey, I'm the same way. And when my family's gone, the cake comes out. I'm going to eat a lot of cake this week. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. Is, it, is it like that risky business movie where you're sliding around the house in socks? Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. With a shirt, no pants on, every day. Except, yeah, that takes a lot of energy. And I don't know what it is. After I've had a lot of cake, you'd think I'd have a lot of energy, but I don't. No. You crash faster. I crash hard. (laughs) So then you just hobble around the house. Yeah, with my bad leg. I'm going to start – I've decided. I've I've had an epiphany. Someday I'll explain it, but I've had an epiphany. I am no longer going to be held down by a bad foot. You're going to overcome your plantar fasciitis. I'm going to run. I'm going to push it till that thing explodes. (laughs) And I don't care if it explodes all over me. And I don't even know what would actually explode. (laughs) Till I break a tendon in my foot, I don't care. It would just tear. Yeah. Till it tears and my foot's all floppy. Yeah. Like a ragdoll flop. I don't care. I'm I'm taking well, back my life. Live life to the extreme. <laughs> extreme walking with Matt Townsend. That's it, folks. Hour number one. It's in the books. Booyah. Uh, we're going to take a break, come back. When we come back, we're going to be getting into uh, marriage, how to stay together, for heaven's sakes. Ashley Slater is going to join us. We'll be talking about Team Us, Marriage Together, Making a Relationship Last. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. Remember, the goal of this program, folks, is to help you live longer, love stronger. Today, we're going to be talking about love, marriage. That's what brings us together today. We're talking marriage and how to build a healthier uh, marriage. We've got a great author coming up, Ashley Slater will be joining us. She wrote the book, Team Us, Marriage Together. She uh, is the mother of, I think, four beautiful girls. And she's going to be teaching us what she's learned in trying to not have a perfect marriage, but just one that works and how you have to work together to make that happen. We'll be getting into that when we uh, uh, in just a few minutes. But before we do, we always like to go to the headlines and give you some of the latest and greatest headlines. Any news other than Wisconsin? Beating down the UK. It wasn't a beat down. That was incredible. The UK? The UK. <laughs> Seems like they... The University of Kentucky. Oh, okay. Not the country, but... Yeah, I know. UK. Then Kentucky lost and apparently fans went out in the street and burned things because that's what you do. Usually Michigan State, their fans go out and burn couches sure, and sure. have problems, but yeah, Kentucky did it this well, time is what I saw. Maybe somebody loses Michigan. regularly, yeah. there's a lot of other things you could do. I don't know. Have you ever burned a couch? No. Me either, but it looks like a, some fun. I have a few couches that should be burned. The What was it? Two years ago, last year, whenever, I can't remember, whenever Kentucky won their last NCAA title. Yeah. I was on Twitter just kind of reading some of the post-game comments and things people are saying. And then I started seeing links to police scanners and things that were happening in the streets of Kentucky, in Lexington. Huh. And I went, huh. So you click on the link and all of a sudden pops up to the Lexington police website and you can listen to their police scanner as they're calling call after call after call really? of couches on fire. 
<laughs> wow. This was several years ago. Well, that's it, great for the furniture industry. It was a wonderful evening for myself. Bring out your couches. I just sat there listening to a police scanner <laughs> on all the different calls of what was going on. Was that could, only happening at frat houses? I don't know. I mean, it's obviously I had a, a limited source with the police scanner, but still, it was quite. And I would recommend doing that if you're really bored. Yeah. After any sort of a championship type oh, yeah. sporting event, right. go to that town's police scanner and listen to what's happening. Well, you could. It's not even limited to just sporting events. No. I mean, let's say your you know your mom got a good diagnose. I mean, a good you know had cancer, beating cancer. She's got she's got a clean bill of health. Woo! Burn a couch. Grab the couch. <laughs> light it up, mom. Move. Get off the couch. Yeah. Mom, move. We got to light this up right now. I mean, if I'm going to light something on fire, I wouldn't start with a couch. That's no. just a frat house, though. Well, yeah, it's a frat house because you know old couches in the frat. Yeah. Yeah, frat house couches are just... But just general public unrest after... Because yeah. people go out in the street and celebrate, and then someone starts causing trouble. But what happened with Wisconsin? I bet they just were calmly celebrating. They ate some cheese, because that's what you uh, do in Wisconsin. They have great cheese. I love Wisconsin cheese. Let's just take a minute. Just think about that. About cheese? <sighs> you okay? I'm really hungry. You want some cheese? Just, Yeah. My wife was riding public transportation. Some guy sitting across from her gnawing on a brick of cheese. He just pulled, pulled a, big a brick. A big two-pound brick of cheddar. It just bites off a bit. Just gnawing <laughs> off the corner. That is. So she calls great. me on the phone. He's eating cheese. Does he? I was like, don't. Squeaky? I go, don't, don't look at him directly in the eye. You should be okay. You now, know, that's funny. That's because he shops at Costco. Absolutely. You get great deals on cheese there. Yeah, but then you got to carry that big brick around. Unless, of course, you want to snack on it. <laughs> All the way, All the way home. to downtown Salt Lake. Other headlines. Yeah. Jeb Bush identified himself as Hispanic on the on a 2009 voter registration form in Florida, according to a Hold copy on. of the document obtained by the New York Times. Now, Je- this is Jeb, Jeb. Uh, son of President George Bush. Yes. Brother, Robert Walker. Yes, brother of the other President, President. Bush. Yeah. Non- George and George. 41 and, and what, 43? 43. Neither yeah. of them are Hispanic. Hispa- no, they're not. But Jeb but apparently Jeb identified brother. as Hispanic in the 2009 election. Does Barbara know? <laughs> I don't. I'm not Is sure. Is Barbara Hispanic? No no, no official uh, statements from the Bush family as of yet. That's that was a mistake. Neither Bush nor his parents are Hispanic, as the article goes on. Bush's wife, Colombia, was born in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, a spokesperson for Bush who was gearing up for a likely presidential bid offered no explanation as to why he well, identified you know himself as Do you remember that how way? Bill Clinton was like the first – everyone was saying he was the first African-American president. Absolutely. So maybe that's it. Maybe Jeb is, is that, so taken on the persona. So is this metaphorical? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's such a member. Yeah, he's a member okay. of the community and he would be because his wife is from Mexico – that he's so into the community that he feels as if he's one with them. Thus, he's now received a new status as honorary, uh, honorary ethnic minority. Uh, probably, really, just he's he's the real deal now. Okay, he's been accepted. Don't in, check in the... DNA on that, <laughs> but I'm going to say he's probably <laughs> he just made a mistake after a two year shutdown. To make improvements and upgrades, yeah. the Large Hedron Collider is back online as scientists embark on a new mission to uh, unlock elemental mysteries of the universe. James just the other day was like, hey, when's the when's the Hedron Collider going to be back up? You remember how you've been so sad? 
Well, I've had the countdown timer to that one yeah. going as well. So the two, your Millennial Wedding and the Hedron Collider coming back online. What broke it down? Did they actually collide in a way that – was there a collision that broke the collider? There was something amiss that I remember reading about in 2013 when they shut it down. But didn't it like burn but I've read things an entire since city down? No. Okay. But if you do see any sort of rogue black holes yeah. or spatial anomalies, mm-hmm. it's okay. Well, the Hedron Collider's running. When did They're it start? Crashing atoms. When did it go up? Do you know? Uh, I believe it was Saturday. Because I had two over watches weekend. over the weekend that quit working. Could be. Direct effect of the Collider running. Ah, oh, jeez. They're smashing atoms and it's messing up your watch. Honestly. Now I've got to go get two. I think it's batteries. Maybe it's just, I don't know, neutrons, electrons. Could be. Mm, interesting. An Air India co-pilot reportedly fought with his captain on Sunday just before takeoff for uh, Delhi. Numerous airline sources said the co-pilot abused the captain, but an Air India spokesman said there was an argument between the two and nothing more. No, you get the coffee. No, you get the coffee. You're the the co-pilot. The captain allegedly directed the co-pilot to take down critical takeoff figures or facts like numbers of passengers on board. The co-pilot took offense and allegedly (sighs) beat up the captain. That's a quote from a source. Oh, boy. Out of the Times of India, which I'm a frequent reader of, the co-pilot reportedly has had a history of fighting with colleagues. You'd think we'd be vetting the pilots better now. And the one with the anger management issue probably ought not be in the cockpit for a while. Hey, I want you to go check the tires, Larry. I'm not doing it. I always check the tires. (laughs) What do you think I am? You're the tire boy. Send the stewardess. You're what number are they doing? two. I'm number one. Get out there and check the tires and get me some coffee when you come back. A new study asks, if you had a time machine, those are always the best studies. I love those. If you had a time machine, mm-hmm. would you go back and kill Hitler before he had a chance to lead the Nazis? Would I or would I send somebody? Either way. Would you- I'd send you, my producer. Take the step to end one of the worst- situations in history, one of the worst times in history that was, <sighs> you take out Hitler, yeah. it doesn't happen, is the theory. So, would you go back in time and do that? Sure. Men and women both see the benefits of such an act, but men seem more likely to pull the trigger, the independent reports. Yeah. Women are more on the sides of, well, I don't know, you know, it's kind yeah. of a moral ground. to kill somebody. Right. But my big concern with saying sure like that was I, it's... There's a benefit to all history because we learn and we grow, and you're not going to stop everything, right? So, I mean, but you could stop that if you had a time machine. You, you, no, you stop Hitler. You just don't know what would be next. Could the idea continue without? Well, I mean, him, there was right? already a vacuum there. There was there already was. this weird. The findings space. they tested six thousand people with a, a ran, bunch of different questions uh-huh. along the same corn of idea where you could have influence over a situation, choices. As they put it, the uh, the cruel actions for the greater good. Oh. Right? That kind of an idea yeah, is what yeah, they're yeah. testing. And it says women seem to be more likely to have this negative emotional gut level reaction to causing harm to people, whereas men were less likely to express this strong emotion reacting to harm. Yeah. So men would be more willing to do something. Women are more. Oh, well, they're going to think it through. They don't want to have to go kill Hitler, kill anybody. Yeah. But yeah, if you could save millions, yeah. So is it – I would send somebody. Is the the, cruel action for the greater good something you would do? Yeah. Kind of an interesting study of our behavior. I personally, again, I wouldn't do it. I would facilitate it. I would send my producer. You would have a guy. I would have a guy named Terry South. And I feel I'm 
You take care of it. Trained. You take care of it. There's enough video games out there if that you, you want, can train. Delegate it to one of the producers. <laughs> I have plenty Kaylee? of producers. Kaylee. She can go take care of that <laughs> Kaylee, for me. we have an assignment. The funny thing about Kaylee, she might do it. Yeah, she would. She's from Texas. She's from Texas. <laughs> By way of 90 other states. Yeah. So, yeah, no problem. That's good. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, Ashley Slater is going to join us. She is um, the author of a book. And when you think about it, honestly, uh, marriage, it's tough. It's a tough, tough thing, right? But uh, Ashley wrote a book called Team Us, Marriage Together, and it looks at how to build unity in our relationships. Ashley Slater will be up next to teach that lesson. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever had that situation where your child has done something that's insulted the family, the dog, you know, all of your ancestors? Everyone's offended. And then all of a sudden, that child becomes your spouse's kid. It's easy to get split up on issues, but shouldn't threaten the, shouldn't threat the unity of our relationship. Ashley Slater, author of Team Us, Marriage Together, looks at how to build unity in our relationship. She's joining us now. Uh, you can also find more about Ashley Slater at her website, ashleyslater.com. Ashley, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you on the show. And, and so you wrote an entire book about a concept called Team Team Us. Like, I, I mean, because unity in a marriage has kind of always been the big issue. And 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 so you're you you've seen it in is it 11 years of marriage you've had? It's 12 now. 12 now. Yeah. So you see it. You get it. Teach yeah. us. What do we need to know about building a better team in our marriage? Well, you know, I think first we have to realize that we are a team. I think sometimes we forget that. And when we hit difficult situations or circumstances, we turn on each other. Yeah. Instead of realizing that, you know, if you look at whether it's in sports, I know the Final Four is going on right now. I'm not really a sports person, but I do know that's going on. Yeah. Um, or in the office, or even on, you know, a show like The Amazing Race. You know, normally the members of a winning team are for each other. They have each other's back, and they work together to succeed no matter what they're facing. Um, and I think that's so vital to marriage, and I think we forget that. What do you think um, you makes know, us forget it? Because at the very beginning, that's all we talk about. Yeah, we are one. You complete me. All of this team talk, and then something goes awry. Yeah, well, you know, when our spouse gets annoying, we can forget that we're in it together. We can go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that about you, or maybe I just didn't notice it about you, and now you're doing that, and that really bothers me, and I feel like you should be making me happy. And if you're not making me happy, then how can we be on the same team? How can we be together if you're not making me happy? And, you know, sure, there will be moments when we make each other happy, but that's not ultimately what, you know, the heart of marriage is. I right. mean, we're not always going to make each other happy. No, in fact, we had a uh, person on the show the other day that talked about the fact that we are in this crazy culture of narcissism, and uh, they've even found that there's some research from the self-help, you know, many years that we were pushing, not self-help, but pushing kind of self-esteem, that you, you know, you are powerful, you are important, that we may have created even more narcissists in our in our own world by simply always talking about how special people are, individuals are. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why 
being a team is such a hard thing because maybe we don't think of ourselves as a team. It's right. just about me. Right. And instead, I mean, it's hard. You have to shift your thinking when you get married. You have to realize, okay, we're walking down this aisle and I'm me and, you know, my husband Ted is is me too. But yeah. once we walk back down that aisle, we're in us. And that doesn't mean that we don't have individual desires or, you know, goals or things like that, but they need to support our marriage, not fight against our marriage. So, so true. And it's funny, I've noticed that that's always hard to teach people because to teach them that when they're all giddy and yearning and chemically charged, they're like, I know. Yeah, I know. But it's it's harder to teach it once you've been burnt or, you know, if your partner has acted selfishly or done something that kind of throws you a bit. Right. And it really is this decision to um, die to yourself in a sense yeah. to say, and I'm not talking about, I always get the, well, what about abuse and what about yeah, those kind right. of things? I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about daily, you know, day-to-day issues in marriage of dying to yourself and saying, okay, I can be all about me right now, or I can look at this from the perspective of the way I react right now, how is that going to benefit the long-term health of my marriage? Yeah. Because we're all on a trajectory, you know, we're going in a direction and even the little decisions we make each day affect what direction our marriage is going to go in. And I think we forget that. No, absolutely. I, I, I think that's the key, isn't it? Is just like you're saying, you've got to somehow re, uh, recommit regularly to this concept that you are a team, that we're going to do this together. And it almost doesn't matter whether you understand it or not, or you're feeling it or not. You, you are going to impact each other. If I go do something really stupid, my wife is going to be, you know, hit by that. She's going to be embarrassed by that. She's going to hear about it. So there's no way to not be a team, either by consequence or by reality. Right. And it's this idea of finishing well. Are we going to finish this well together? Um, And if you have that in the back of your mind as you make decisions, then it's going to impact you. But if you just if you don't think about that, then you're not going to realize what you just said, that it impacts your team and your marriage, you know, negatively or positively. And it's up to you. Yeah. In your book, you talk about that. You talk about how to get rid of the me first perspective and change to a team first. How do you do it? What do you recommend? Well, I think it's a process. I think that's what people need to realize first off is that you are not going to all of a sudden say I do and it's going to be easy and it's going to not take any work, that it's just automatic. So I think you have to give, you and your spouse have to give yourself and each other grace because it is a process. And so you need to have patience and persistence as you are working towards becoming one, becoming an us. Um, And so what that really means to me is that you have patience with your spouse as they are trying to become part of the team and trying to become more us than me. And you also have persistence uh, in changing your own, you know, habits and ways of going about things and your selfishness that can negatively impact your marriage. So, yeah, I think it's huge that you realize first it's a process and then you are committed to having patience with your spouse and persistence in your own um, commitment to make changes that benefit your relationship. That's the the patience with my spouse and persistence that I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to just keep working on it. Don't you believe that if if we knew that our partner was going to be strongly committed to 
growing with me over time, being patient and growing with me and being persistent in that process, most of us could relax because we'd eventually see change. Right. And I think that we would not freak out when we hit conflict. Like, uh, conflict has been an issue that we have. It's taken us, it's taken us some time to, you know, figure out how to deal with it well, specifically me. But we've gotten to the point in our marriage now that, yeah, we have conflict. I mean, it's inevitable. It happens. But when we hit it, we both know that we are committed to working through it. Even if it's going to get messier before it gets better, we're, we're in this together. And so it doesn't, I don't think it scares us. It's just, you know, it's still no fun to, to work through, but it doesn't scare us because we know we're going to get to the other side and we're going to be better because we worked through it together. Mm. That's what I, I see with the couples I work with. Everyone is so afraid because, it, you know, that, that conflict brings back all of these kind of emotions and fight or flight and our biggest fears and will I be rejected? But like you're saying, if we could just kind of work through it to a point where we actually succeed it seems like we we kind of rewire our brain to know that oh okay that's that persistence you're talking about we can do this if we just both stay in and we both stay patient we can do this right and my my husband Ted's funny he sometimes jokingly says yes i i love you because i'm obligated to <laughs> and he's joking i mean that's not a romantic yeah. thing to say he's he's joking but there is that grain of truth and i made this commitment so even in those times when you know, you might irritate me or, you know, I'm yeah. not feeling all lovey-dovey. I still love you because I committed to do that yeah. and I'm committed to doing it well. That's so good. I mean, really, you know, you probably ought to, you know, be mad at him for a minute for saying that. But um, that's it's, – it's funny that sometimes we want the commitment to be more – no, I want you to just want to do it instead right. of – well, no. I mean, in a weird way, me being committed even though it's not – easy for me or natural, that's actually a higher level of commitment than me just loving you because it's so easy. Right. And I think people don't realize that a lot of people think feelings have to come first. Yeah. And that's not always the case, especially as you get further into your marriage. Sometimes your actions have to come first, actions that will bring that feeling. Like if you're not feeling incredible, you know, that spark right then, okay, well, start acting like you feel that spark and the feeling will follow. And that's not like, you know, faking it. It's right. that determination to um, do this well, even though you might not be feeling it at the moment. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's accomplishment, really. That's everything we do. Nobody wants to just go to school every day. We don't feel like it. But when we do and we succeed, then eventually you love your career or eventually you love your degree. And I mean, it's work. That's this is it's almost just. By definition, you just you just defined work, <laughs> right? And yeah. Work has benefits, right? Definitely, it does. And I think that when we stick with it in our marriages, and we and we stick with it with that patience and persistence, we yeah. don't just you know sit back and do nothing or just let things deteriorate. But we we are actively working to have a better marriage, even when it's hard. You will. You'll see those benefits. Oh, and they're so, rich. Yeah. We're talking with Ashley Slater, author of Team Us, Marriage Together. We're going to take a break, come back, continue this discussion, get more into the book about uh, how she can, what she does to kind of manage, you know, conflict. Also, what she does to uh, to just stay intentionally growing in the relationship. More with Ashley Slater. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking with Ashley Slater, who's the author of Team Us, Marriage Together. She's teaching us how to build unity in our relationships. And uh, Ashley has been writing for 20 years and in 2014 authored the book Team Us, Marriage Together. She's married to Ted Slater. The two have four beautiful girls. She's the founder and editor of the webzine uh, Ungrind. She also contributes to articles and other blogs and websites. You can go to her website, AshleySlater.com, to get more information. Ashley, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. I'm having fun being here. Thank you. This is a uh, – to me, this is such a such an important subject. It's um, – it's, I, I love the idea of working on a relationship. I t- teach it a lot in my program, my company. But um, on the side, I've noticed it's so much harder to do it with my marriage. You know, it's it's easy for me to help everyone else with their marriage, but it's there's something about our selfishness and um, and just our fears and our weaknesses that make it so much harder to do at home. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because as I wrote this book and then it came out, uh, Ted and I found ourselves all of a sudden some of the issues I wrote about yeah. we were having, we were facing them, and we're going, oh wait. We wrote about grace, and we're not doing very well at it right now, which right. then offers major kind of conviction going, ooh, maybe I need to go read my own book again. So, yeah, I, I think that um, it's, you know, it's a struggle. Just because you understand the right. concepts doesn't mean you don't still struggle with them at times. I mean, we do. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the key is it, it could be worse. You don't understand it. So you're just – you're blindly, ignorantly blowing it. I guess you and I are just more intentionally blowing it. <laughs> But but if we can intentionally blow it, you you say we could intentionally grow it then. We can. And I think that that's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're on a trajectory, you know, yeah. we're on a path in our marriages, and we can determine which direction we go. And I think that a big thing with my book is really encouraging couples to be intentional or purposeful about growing together on a daily basis, because we're all going to change, you know, but... Are we going to change with our spouse, or are we going to change and go in different directions? And when we decide on a daily basis to really, um, you know, connect with each other, and I think a big part of that is having shared experiences, when we're purposeful about doing that, we're going to grow in the same direction. And I think that that is so important to staying united and just having a healthy marriage. Yeah, there's so many things just naturally that take us apart. Uh, Having children, a lot of times I notice... Um, when we would have a child, my wife would end up, because she had to, turning to the child, and I would end up kind of turning to the business world to go make money for the child. Yeah. And so a lot of times, just naturally, you'll be taken away from what's important. But just because it's natural and it's, it makes sense doesn't mean it's what we should be doing. We We still need to get back together and keep focusing on intentionally growing it. Exactly. And I actually just wrote an article recently about how um, I put my marriage before my kids. You know, I, yeah. I said it was a, uh, people didn't understand my percentages, not everyone, but I said, you know, I'm 51% a wife and 49% a mom <laughs> because my marriage needs to come before my kids. And that does not mean that I ignore my kids. Sometimes the time Ted and I have together has to come after we meet the kids' needs. Sure. But the point is that we consistently make our marriage a priority. And it turned out to be quite the topic. It, you know, it was interesting to read both sides of the argument and just see 
um, where people were on it. But it's definitely a struggle. Yeah. It's definitely a struggle. Well, and it seems like, you know, uh, well, our children need us. And the, the dilemma is the divorce rate goes up about 16% when we are empty nesters. So 16% above and beyond what your normal divorce rate would be at that stage. And part of that is because if we haven't spent time together, um, it doesn't get easier when you finally just have time. You still have to have a relationship by then. Right. And you don't want to you don't want to be so busy caring for your kids. And definitely, I mean, you need to take good care of your kids. Right. But you don't want to be so busy with that that you forget who us even is. Yeah. You know, and then you're strangers by the time the kids leave. And honestly, I mean, kids need you to make your marriage important. Oh, you yeah. Give well, them security. Well, yeah, and also it teaches them how to do it with their spouses. Exactly. Right. So you're you're setting it up. What are some ways that you make you use to grow intentionally? What are some habits that you guys do daily? We try to include some sort of shared experience every day. For us, we like to Netflix binge mm. watch. Yeah. Which is not just a passive thing. I mean, we actively talk oh, yeah, about what we watch. You're like highly trained professionals. Right. <laughs> So, but I mean, that doesn't, so we like to end our day together. And that's one way that we do it is um, we, we watch a show together, we talk about it, and we go to bed at the same time. Yeah. And that's become such a habit that when we don't do it, our day feels weird. Something's wrong. Um, but I, yeah, I know not everyone can do that. So I, I tell people, you know, just have a shared experience. Maybe that means you have coffee together in the morning and you just kind of connect and you, and you talk or, you know, you have dinner together, but find a way to connect each day. And I think a shared experience is great because it creates memories. It creates connection. You bet. So that's huge for us. Well, um, I mean, because like I, my wife and I, we don't watch, she doesn't watch TV really. So mm-hmm. we don't watch the same kind of stuff, but she would love for me to go on a walk with her. Right. And so that we could create a shared experience that way, or just having a moment to talk or sharing a hobby. I mean, when we when I write something, she always edits it for me. Just if I would write more and she could edit more, it would bring us together. There's always going to be something, right? Right. And the big thing is making the time to do it, which communicates to your spouse that you are important enough to me that even though I'm busy, I am willing to say, no, this time is going to you. Yeah. And that communicates a lot when you're willing to say, sure, life is busy, but you mean enough to me that... I am going to make the time for you. I love that. Does um, any other ideas, any other things that you that you love to use or do as a daily habit? Well, I think that we're always trying. This may not be daily, but it is regularly. We try to step out of our comfort zones yeah. in the sense that um, you know we have common interests that you know drew us together, and they remain common. But there are things Ted likes that I'm not crazy about. There are things that. I like that he's not crazy about, but we're willing to say, hey, you know what? You are getting joy out of this. So let me try try it too. Let me share in your joy. Yeah. And both of us have found that we have new shared interests that way, which gives us new common experiences. And um, so I think that that should be a regular mindset is that I am willing to step out of my comfort zone and try something or do something that you like that I might not naturally be drawn to, because I think that really helps it helps us as a couple continue to grow in the same direction. Oh, sure. I mean, and that always gets harder too, doesn't it? As you get older, if you get entrenched in just staying in your comfort zone, you may not ever reach out. Right. Yeah. And it's meant, I mean, 
I we got married. I was like, I am never trying sushi. Uh uh-uh, uh, I don't think so. Now I love it. Isn't Sometimes that great? I'm going, can we go get sushi now? <laughs> um, so we, I think I've become a richer individual because I have stepped out of my comfort zone, and I think our marriage is stronger because we do have more things that we can do together. And sometimes we hit things and I go, mm, I tried it, I don't really like it, but that's okay because we have enough shared interests and Ted knows I am willing to step out of my comfort zone that those moments, they don't hurt our relationship. Mm. It's just something to laugh about later. Yeah, I always suggest you try it three times. Try stepping out of your comfort zone three times because anybody could do it once and it didn't work. Um, right. But three times to try something. I love that idea too. And it might simply even become not that you loved sushi, but that you loved uh, just the experience of sushi. You know, you loved how long it can take to eat a, a meal. Or uh, I had a friend that went golfing. And his wife always went golfing with him. She hated golfing, but she loved driving the golf cart. So when they go golfing about once a week, she just drives the cart nice. and, and they talk and it's great. I mean, it's, isn't that, it's just interesting. They never would have known it if they hadn't tried. Right. And I think that sometimes we're so set in our ways of, no, you accept me the way I am. Mm-hmm. You married me and I didn't like it. So get over it. I'm not trying it. And that's, that just shows that I, I think that communicates to your spouse that you're not worth me changing. Yeah. I, I, I love that idea that, you know, we're, we're here to, we're here to grow. We're here to change. And, um, I mean, you, I guess ideally you should just love me, but you know, the reality is, is I also need to improve and I need to get better. And so I sh- I probably shouldn't argue for you to just love me in my broken way all the time. I should try to get better as well. It's powerful. Talk about your friendship inventory in the book. One chapter is called the friendship inventory. How does that work? Yes, I think that, you know, there's this idea as teenagers, you know, be careful about the friends you pick because they influence you. And then we suddenly get to, you know, being an adult and we don't stress it as much. But I think that it's very important and that it actually, the friends that we choose can impact our marriage either negatively or positively. And so I think it's, it's good to step back and kind of look at your friendships. Your cl- and I'm talking I'm not talking all of your friendships. I'm talking your close friendships, those people that influence you the most and that you let speak into your life the most, you know, those you would run to when you had a problem. Step back and say, okay, um, there are three things. You know, one, look at do they esteem marriage? Do they hold marriage um, as a good thing in a positive light? Are they going to speak well of it? Mm. Or are they going to speak negatively of it? Because if you're hanging around with someone who's always, you know, speaking poorly of marriage, that's going to influence how you think about marriage, whether you realize it or not. Um, you also want to find friends, those close friends, who have a, they respect the opposite sex. Like, I don't want to hang out with women who think all men are scum or dishonest, because that's going to influence, you know, how they speak about men. It's also going to influence how they speak about my husband. If I go to them and confide and say, oh, we're having this issue, they're going to be like, well, I'm not surprised because men are like that. Men are pigs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not going to push me towards my husband. That's right. And I need friends that are going to say, you know what? All of us struggle with certain issues. You know, it's not a a, a man-woman thing. We all mess up and fail. Um, And thirdly, you know, are they just going to be, you know, yes men? Are they just going to be like, oh, yeah, you're great. He stinks. I can't believe that. Or are they going to say, you know what? I'm sorry that you guys had this fight and that he said that. But you know what? 
I, I see how you could have done better too. So you really want friends that are going to value marriage, are going to help push you towards reconciliation. I love that. Rather than further conflict. Because, and that's a big deal. So if you notice that you are always fighting about your friends um, or your spouse doesn't like your friends, that's a pretty basic inventory. Are they marriage, pro-marriage? Are they respectful of the opposite gender or sex? And are they lifting you or are they just, you know, kind of feeding you? Exactly. I mean, that, that, that's just a really basic discussion, isn't it? It is, but I, you know, we have had friends that they have had their friendships, other friendships negatively impact their marriage, and either one or both of them have not even realized it. Yeah. Um, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's huge. I see it all the time. And the minute you're defending your friends more than you're understanding your spouse, that team unity shot. Yeah, exactly. Because your spouse, I mean... I want to know that I take priority with Ted over his friends. Yeah, you know. I mean, so. you, yeah, I mean that—that's what's so basic, isn't it? That you know, we got married. You didn't marry your friends, Ted. Come on. Right. Exactly. But it's, and that uh, plays into in-laws too. That's, that's yeah. another issue. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because apparently, with a marriage, a lot of times they come with in-laws. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any advice on in-laws we should watch out for? You know, I think that that's, it's the same sort of thing is making sure that your, your spouse takes priority over yeah. um, your parents. And I think that that's one of those things that is also a process. I think it takes a little bit of time to shift your thinking, and that's where patience and persistence can once again come in. You know, I had to be patient. Ted was in his 30s when we got married, so he was, he was 36, so yeah. he, was, he had been single for a while. And it took him a while to shift the thinking of, Okay, my wife and my parents' opinions do not have equal weight. Interesting. You know? Yep. I, I, I need to, you know, give I need to really think about what Ashley's saying and give that more weight. Um, and that took a while and I just had to be patient. So I think it, it needs you need to be on this path of making your spouse a priority over your parents in that relationship. But it's okay if it takes a little bit of time, as long as you're headed in that direction. You bet. You bet. Well, Ashley, we appreciate it. What uh, If you had to give us one more piece of advice, what's the one thing that you would say is the key thing to creating unity between a husband Ooh, and a wife? That's a good question. I would say when you hit the hard times, don't turn, don't turn on each other. Don't blame each other. Yeah, stay in. Um, yeah, look for, for you're in it and figure out ways you can work together to work through it. It's good stuff. That's huge. That's right. Great advice. Ashley Slater, so appreciate you. Good luck with uh, the new book, uh, Team Us, Marriage Together. Go check out her website, ashleyslater.com. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little Coach's Corner. I'll give you my uh, take on um, marriage relationships, some things we might want to focus on to stay in our relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. Remember, one of the goals of this program is to help you grow healthier, happier relationships. 
The hard part about a relationship, folks, is, you know, where do you get the skills to do it? I guess in grade school. But in grade school, many times you're just not taught this stuff, are you? We should be taught about healthier relationships from the beginning. Our parents should be teaching it. Our schools should be teaching it. We teach driver's ed. But what classes did you take in order for you to get married? Premarriage education is a big uh, it's a big uh, movement. It's been going on about 20 years, and there's great research that shows couples that uh, prepare by taking some classes, especially conflict resolution classes, um, before they get married, tend to have a better go at it. Or for any of you out there in listener land, if you are struggling with um, conflict and being able to handle it and and, and um, actually get through a discussion that's difficult, that may be one of the greatest predictors of a healthy relationship. Uh, the research shows that all couples have trouble. Every couple has issues, right? Now, in fact, there's actually a correlation to couples that have conflict actually have the potential to have healthier relationships than those that claim they don't have any conflict. If anyone ever says, yeah, we never fight, I'd watch out for them. You never know why, what's going on with them. I mean, there might be a few that just, you know, they hit utopia and they found the partner that is exactly like them. Um, other than just that, you know, one millionth of 1%, the rest of us are going to have people with different opinions, different points of view. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about today is how you create unity. One of my basic beliefs is you'll never be able and to have a discussion or a conversation that you can change something in if you're never in the conversation together. Uh, simply put, when most of us have a challenge or a conflict, we usually become aggressive pursuers or we become withdrawers. We become fighters or we become flighters. So think in your marriage when an issue comes up and you need to talk about it, is one of you more inclined to want to bring that issue up and to talk about it and to push it? And is another is the other more likely to want to withdraw, not have this conversation? The research actually shows that 70% of the time, Men tend to be the withdrawer from the conversation. That's what they call them in my world, withdrawers. And, and women 70% of the time become the pursuer. They're the, more, they're the one that wants to talk about it. My rule, though, is um, we really – it's not going to serve us if one of us pursues and one of us always withdraws. What we need to do is just agree that we're both going to stay in the conversation. Ashley Slater just brought it up earlier that uh, – you know, when we want to deal with conflict, I need somebody. I use the actual term, I'm in. And in, my, in marriage, when I do marriage and relationship coaching, I'm teaching, I don't care if you're feeling it. I want you to just stay committed to being in this conversation. I'm in. How many times have you gone upstairs or gone to your kids in the middle of the night when they're crying or they're sick and you're not feeling love? You're not like giddy to be up at three in the morning to go change the baby that's crying or to go feed the baby that's crying. You may not feel it, but once you get up and you're up there and you're taking care of the baby's needs and you feed the baby and you change the baby and you're holding the baby, a lot of times, as Ashley was saying earlier, our feelings change. Then we've, we've – I call that we've earned it. The problem is if you don't stay in and you think that marriage is about a feeling – and this is – I hear it all the time. I have people say – I've just I just don't feel what I used to feel in the relationship. Well, okay. None of us do. 
Think about your first job. Do you remember how exciting that was at the mall? How exciting was that? It was great fun. How long did you feel like that? Eventually, those feelings fade. So if you think relationships are all about good feelings, you're setting yourself up. At some point, you have to eventually grow your character and stay in and have those conversations that are hard. If you notice that when you guys have a discussion, one of you is always pushing to talk and one of you is always pushing to run away, let's just agree to just both of us be quiet, but we're going to stay put. We're going to stay together. No one's going to run away. And if you're the one that normally wants to run, let's just agree that you'll talk and let's just solve this problem. Now, you might need more skills than that, right? But we've got to do something different. So the first thing I try to do is I'm a big believer that we will never have better communication than we have the character to deliver. You will never talk better than you have the character to listen. It's never going to happen. Um, so we've got to grow the character. We really have to become better communicators by having the character to not say something that's offensive, to not always harp on somebody, and to not run away. I need to be willing to use my character to stay put and have this discussion, and my partner may need to use their character to find a softer way to talk about it. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? But in the end, um, what I found too is eventually you get used to it. Uh, I, I we About a year ago, I took a group to the Florida Everglades, and I watched a guy wrestle basically with an alligator. He was an alligator wrangler. He didn't wrestle with it. He just sat on it. But um, I sat there and I thought, what on earth lets somebody sit on an alligator? Like, that's crazy. Everything in your brain would be going off. Eh, eh, disaster. Watch out. But somehow this guy got used to just sitting in a cage with an alligator that could have eaten him in half and just chomped him up. But something was able in him to feel confident and turn off his fight or flight response. And to me, what it is, is it's the ability to sit and um, to do it. It's the ability to stay in that space, understand what you're dealing with, and know that you can do this. That guy knew how to move around the alligator. He taught us a bunch of his tricks. And in the end, he doesn't die because he kind of knows what he's doing. Same thing can happen in our marriages. We don't have to have our fight or flight go off just because our partner says, can we talk? Oh, jeez, here we go. I knew she'd want to talk. We could get used to just talking. We could get even used to talking about difficult things. And you don't have to raise your voice and you don't have to get more intense because your needs aren't being met. And I won't run away. So just keep it calm. Keep it slow. One of my rules is just slow it down. Slow it down. Paraphrase what you're hearing so your partner knows you're actually listening. Slow and steady. If you're struggling with communication, if you're struggling being united and get and being together, then go get help. Get online. Get a book. Get doing something. But learn, folks. The answers are out there. And uh, do not move on and go find another partner until you know how to have a relationship with the one you're with. Until you know how to have a conversation, at least, without fighting and flighting. That's it. Hour number two, folks. It's in the books. It's in the books. The Matt Townsend Show. We're trying to help you find the good in the world. We'll be back next hour. More ideas to help you live longer, longer, and love stronger.
Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to hour number three of Townsend Fest. Townsend Arama. Yeah, it's hard to. Townsend Stock? Townsend Stock. Townsend Gate. Yeah, let's go with Townsend. Townsend Palooza? Townsend Palooza is yeah. it. That was it. That's what I was looking for. Townsend Palooza, also the wedding of the millennium countdown. 26 days, 7 hours, 13 minutes, and 0 seconds. James still is engaged to McIntyre. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. She's still hanging on. She's a trooper. I sent her the videos and all the footage, and I thought that would for sure end it. No, she really loves me. Like this. Does she? Yeah. Even after the videos. And the footage? Yeah. That's crazy. She's she's a saint. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she's a keeper. Hey, uh, you guys, of course, had a wonderful holiday. We heard about with Terry that his son woke him up and sat on his head. Sort of on my shoulder and then just kind of tapped on my head. forehead saying, Daddy, we have candy to go find. Really? So, Yeah. Now, why did he wake you up? Why didn't he sit on your wife's shoulder? She was already awake. Did she, I bet you she said, go sit on daddy's shoulder. She has a monitor on her side of the room Yeah, that is in his room, so she'll hear when he starts moving around. And Does he say, hey, mom, I'm no, ready? No, he starts playing with his toys. He sleeps in a bed. In his bed, there's uh, like 30 toys. He has to, he's, It's like James. He sleeps with all of his toys. Yeah. We've tried to get him to not sleep with his toys. Yeah, you and can. He would rather have... Buzz Lightyear and That's right. all those characters, all of them in bed with him. <laughs> but like, doesn't he wake up with like an imprint of a Buzz Lightyear no. wing? The the only thing we found that happens is sometimes he rolls over and all of a sudden Buzz Lightyear starts talking about to infinity and beyond, and it's really kind of sets That's you right. off in I the middle of the night. Settling, it's dark and honey. Almost, is somebody in the room with a la- baby? Someone with a laser? Yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy. That's weird. So yeah, he uh, so she went up and got him out of bed and then. They did a few things and then came down and um, she goes, go ahead and wake him up. So his idea is he comes over, gets right up on top of you <laughs> and then taps on your head until you wake up. Yeah. he's. And I was like, where did he get that? Like, oh, yeah. that's how I wake him up. You, so, do you sit on his shoulder? I don't really sit on him. I lean on him. Yeah. And, and then I start tap tapping on, on him and bug him. And Let's just contrast that one child uh, waking up to um, this morning when we woke up, my wife and I, she said, did Tanner ever get home? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I need to go back to bed. <laughs> Did our kid make it home last night? That's uh, what happens after a few more. Well, we don't, yeah. We don't even know. I still to this day don't, this minute, don't know if he came home last night. Hmm. Bad parenting 101. <laughs> That's why we're going to be talking uh, later to Julie K. Nelson. She's going to give us 25. Uh, she wrote a book, by the way, Keep Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. I'm going to ask her if that's bad parenting if you don't even know if the child came home or not. I'm going to guess yes, that would be. It seems like bad, bad. parenting. Unless you trust your child. Yeah. Yeah, I trust then him. Then it's fine. That's right. I trust him. My, my, I, I never really pushed the whole curfew thing growing up. And I'm in high school. I'm out with some friends. It was late. I called up. and I go, what's my curfew? Because they're all, they started talking about when they needed to be home. I had no idea. What, what was your curfew? My mom's like, well, you know, whenever. Whenever. And I go, whenever? And she said, 
you know, reasonable. I go, well, what's that mean? Give me a number. And she goes, get home by midnight or one o'clock, you know, whenever. I'm like, thanks, mom. And then my friend had to be home at midnight, so I just went home at yeah. midnight. But I didn't have a curfew. That's how mine was. My mom, yeah, she was very relaxed. But I was the, the kid you could trust. Yeah, me too. Because I was boring and didn't do anything. My sisters had exhausted my mother. So she's like, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> do drugs. Have it. Just go. You know, drive-bys, whatever you got to do. Just don't wake me up. Nah, she wasn't that bad. But thank heavens for older siblings that, you know, wore her out. Then I was free yeah. bird. By the time you get there, it's clear sailing. You get away but with it. But then everybody. all my friends had really strong curfews, so I was always home by midnight. Yeah, when your friends don't assist you in the yeah. delinquency, it's no fun. Yeah, what fun is that? Speaking of delinquency. Rand Paul. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I just threw you a nice little segue and you could have gone anywhere and you went to Rand Paul. Well, he's he's announcing, about, so allegedly. Allegedly announcing, April Senator 7th. from Kentucky. Um, he wants to defeat the Washington machine, according to a video he put out over the weekend. He's going to be a different kind of Republican politician. It says the populist leader. message fits neatly into the identity Paul has sought to project during his brief time in Washington. And to that end, the proto-campaign video. Huh. Which I was like, oh, proto what? Proto campaign video. The proto campaign video, while muddling Paul's recent lurches to the right on issues like foreign policy, features political commentators from both sides of the aisle talking up Paul or his potential candidacy. Interesting. So there's your video. So he's kind of he's portraying that he's a balanced uh, candidate. That's a different kind of Republican candidate. And he's going to defeat the Washington machine. Yes. By getting right in the middle of the Washington machine. Yeah. Well, you can't defeat it if you're not in it. You got to get in it. Now, is it is he going to distinguish these different than his father? Because his father ran for president. See, I mean, again, that's kind of like this legacy, this dynasty. Yes. I mean, if Rand Paul got in it, it would be the Bushes, the Clintons, and uh, who's the other? And Rand Paul, yeah, who's the, all of them had family members that have run for president. But the Bush and, and Clintons obviously won. Yeah, well, don't tell Rand that. Rand just sort of was there. <laughs> this is cool. Was, we're starting the race. It's I saw happening. I saw his signs on overpasses. Oh, really? So that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Ron Paul's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes in solo cups, sure. stuck through fences. Right. Environmentally not friendly. No, but. You know. Whatever you got, it, it was inexpensive. It's probably super expensive, but he just had some, you know, fan do it. Right, and, yeah. as, and you do that. It comes from sort of a grassroots effort. I love it. The populist sort of message. Well, it works. Good luck to Rand. A Manhattan Supreme Court judge has allowed a Brooklyn woman to use Facebook to serve her husband divorce papers. Really. Because he's a Facebook fan? She will message from her account for three weeks or until he acknowledges her message. The woman claims that her marriage with her spouse was never consummated because he refused to follow through on the promise of having a traditional uh, Ghanan ceremony. So ah, from Ghana. Okay. And after they sign their civil papers, um, he doesn't have a fixed address, communicates largely by phone or Facebook message. So that's how she communicates with him. She wants to a, a divorce. Yeah. But the divorce papers have to be sent to a specific location, so they're giving her the ability to do it over Facebook well, over three weeks or until he responds. I, I love that because some research shows that a lot of divorces are even caused by Facebook. So you may as well serve your papers. Right. You know. 
That's great. And Facebook really wants to be the source of everything in your life, so yeah. why not just incorporate divorce? <laughs> Isn't it funny that he won't? But by the way, if that starts happening, then you could be served all the time. Yes. Oh, this is crazy town. What yeah. if you're served with other legal papers via Facebook? Could be. Oh, oh! There's a precedent right there. That's scary. I don't know that I want that. The NFL, the National Football League, mm-hmm. reportedly has hired its first female official in Sarah Thomas, according to reports Excellent. from the Baltimore Sun. Thomas has been a league in the league's pipeline for a while, as they call it, their development process yeah. for making uh, game officials. Dean, uh, the NFL's vice president of officiating, said in 2003 that she was a candidate. CBS Sports knows that she was the first female to officiate an NCAA football game back in 2007. She has since worked NFL preseason games and training camps in an effort to adjust to the league's speed. NBA's done it. They're fine. Right. And now it's time for the NFL. She oh, won't boy, be, that's she, scary. Cause... She won't be the first... Female. I mean, there was there yeah, was female was... officials during the lockout yeah. a few seasons back. Yeah, they call them scabs. But I'm like, in the sense of we're not on strike and trying to find replacements. She's the first she's the female first. game official. But you've seen all those hits. I mean, some of those officials take a serious hit. Yeah. I mean, so so you have to be she, aware of the risk. Handle it. I mean, she can done handle this it before. I'd never do that. No, it's a lot of running. It is. I want to sit and watch. I don't want to run <laughs> and watch. It's a lot of running, and you got to wear those silly little pants. Absolutely, and then the cardio—you got to blow that whistle all the time. Yeah, ah. nah, blah. That's cool. It's not enjoying football. That's congratulations just... to her. Yeah, so plus front row seats. Really, she's in the action. Yeah, that's gonna. As be you fair. said, she could become part of the action. She very well could become part of the action. Hey, we're going to – speaking of action, we're going to Julie K. Nelson, uh, one of our great contributors. She's been on the show many, many, many times over the years. Today she's talking about her new book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Julie K. Nelson, author, also author of Parenting with Spiritual Power, she'll be up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you, uh, you know, parent, or at least for the next 20 minutes or so. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house... Julie K. Nelson. By the way, go check out her website, a spoonful of parenting. Dot, right? dot com. <laughs> <laughs> dot com. A spoonful of parenting.com. She's also the author of Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. This is a brand new book out. She's she by the way, has also written the book Parenting with Spiritual Power. She's been very busy. What yeah, is the deal with yeah. you? Yeah, my kids have been neglected. Is, uh, there's a little irony in the fact that you write a book yeah. about parenting and while you're neglecting your kids to write a book about parenting. That's right. So you <laughs> neglect them, but that's fine. They'll get over it. I mean, what's the big deal? Yeah. It's a, it really is a great it book. It toughens them up for life. How did you come up with the name, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger? You Many know, people don't no. want a plunger on their book. I didn't either. I did not think one night, oh, I hope I have a plunger on the front Someday. of my book. Someday I might have a parenting book with a plunger. <laughs> 
No, you know those publicists. They are those marketing people. They love to have something, yeah, you know, quirky, gotta, quirky on the yeah. front. Well, it actually was the it was the name of one of my chapters. All, all the chapters are named after some kind of a visual, so that you can kind of hang on to a visual, some tool or anyway. And so they came up with this. Take one of the chapter names, and the one about keep it real and grab a plunger was the name of the chapter about unifying your family through housework. There you go. Because most people just like, let's just get it done. Let's just don't kill anybody. Let's just, you know, <laughs> and it's a bunch of screaming and fighting, right? That's, that's, right. What, that's that what happened housework, last night. That's what housework is all about. So I wrote a chapter on unify because really the, the main purpose of doing your home is family unity. And nobody really realizes that. No, it's, right. it's, it's an experience to have for a memory looking back on. And some families do this right. They actually look back and have fond memories, if you can believe this. You remember when we oh, worked together? You remember that? Yeah. And we had kind of some fun. <laughs> and um, that's kind of one of those things out in La La Land for a lot of families. And so I wrote a, a chapter on how you can make that real in your life. And the plunger was the visual. Sure. And um, it's very visual. So then we can have unifi- unification, you know, organization's secondary goal. But primary goal is is being together and having fun or, or you know siblings clean together and not killing each other and having some really good times and so they grab that visual and put it on the front cover i'm like really it. really a plunger oh but that's great yeah but it works it works you is know. uh who's the book so when you think about when you write the book you got to know who is the audience mm-hmm. so when you who is your audience for this book well, obviously you, parents. Yeah, yeah, and I and I have it pretty much covered for any type of parent um, because I've got single parenting in there. Yeah, I've got parents who are going through divorce. I've got co-parenting after divorce, and I've got a chapter, really the longest chapter of all in there. They said, keep it down, keep it down, because I kept writing more and more. Sure. But I'm like, do you know how much stuff there is on step parenting? And so I added, um, you know, there's a chapter as well on um, step parenting. Well, so. you've got to do that because Disney's pretty much single-handedly ruined that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Poor step parents don't get a shot anymore. Exactly. And single parents. I mean, you know, Ariel, raised yeah. by a single dad. There's a lot of single right. parents out there, you know. A, yeah. Disney has a lot of single Disney parents. Disney knows yeah. the market. Uh-huh. So in the book uh, – but how many chapters? 25 for 25. Real? So 25 tips. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Talk uh-huh. about encouragement. I know one of the things we, we have talked on the show before is as how we as parents should be encouraging our children, not just necessarily praising them. Yeah. What is that about? Uh, it's on, in chapter two. It's uh, encouragement versus praise, and encouragement is something that we neglect a lot as parents. And so I thought I'd write a chapter about that because we praise. Praise is so easy to do. I right. call it the pop tart <laughs> of parenting because it's so you know instantaneous. It's so instantaneous with the sugar buzz right. and here, good job. And it's like it's feeding a pop tart, but we could you know kind of reliant upon the pop tart, and yep. it's not hasn't have lasting value. And, and encouragement has lasting value, and so praise is more. Extreme. Externally tri- driven, you do the evaluation. It's more parent focus of oh, I think you did a great job on that. But encouragement more is how do you feel hmm. about and have the child building their self worth yeah. so they can do positive self talk, and that's the more lasting because I'm not going to be around my child forever and ever and in every situation. So I want them to evaluate their work and have that internal voice that says, hey, that was a pretty good job. So you'd ask them a question like, so how did you feel about mm-hmm. whatever your performance? Yeah, yeah, and then be there along the way. It's not just. Um, evaluating at the end, it's kind of like I, I put this uh, visual in, the, in this chapter about running a marathon. 
or a race or whatever. And so you have those along the way at those pet stops that hand you the water, that have the signs that say, keep going, or yeah. this is your time at this point. Right. And you have you know people who cheer you along the first aid stations. And then you have those at the end. You need both. You need yeah. the people there at the end that cheer you and say, yeah, you crossed the finish line. But where did you really need it the most? When right. you're hitting the wall, when you're like, I got to give up. This I, I can't, can't make it. it. I right. can't make it. So encouragement are those first aid stations along the way. Yeah. They help the child to say, I can stick through this race. I can, you know, it's it's the child who wants to give up on the season because it's right in the middle and it's really hard playing football or they are in a class and it's really hard and you're there along the way to say, let's, we can do this. I can help you. What What's what's um, next? You know, what's the next step? And you're encouraging them. And then you're building character. This is the one thing I have in there that really talks a lot about. It's not just about the performance, but it's the character that you're building yeah. in the child, um, you know, where you're saying, wow, it, you're really determined to get through this class. I know it's hard, but look how determined. Or um, right now, you know, you're not getting, you're not making the, you know, getting the trophy for the best in the, on the team. But look what a team player you are. You're encouraging your, you know, your teammates. You're a team player. So if you, if you pull out those character traits or you never give up or you're cheerful or Mm -hmm. you're hardworking, then that's what you're encouraging along the way. The traits that will last a lot longer than getting the trophy. Now, the trophy is great. I don't want parents to think I don't want your kids to excel. Yeah. Give them a trophy. Certainly. Give them a trophy. Let them, you know, help them to win if they can. But only one person can get the trophy. But character would be a better thing to walk away mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. Better pink because you're going to use character traits for the rest of your life. You're going to be a hard worker. You're going to be determined. And if you pull those things out and help your child to recognize those as they are practicing them, yeah. then that's what you value because everybody wants to work with someone in the wor- in the workplace, you know, when we're adults, who is a team player, who has, you know, who's cheerful, who, you know. Yeah. And those are things that are have last and I love time. that you say take their lead by just asking them what do you think how do you think you did there what what's going on otherwise you might be critiquing something mm-hmm. that they uh, they were they weren't even looking at and then all of a sudden they already feel bad and you're critiquing <laughs> yes and here's the other thing about it is when you are child focused um, you're wanting them then to uh, not look to you for every answer. Here's the thing hmm. with psychology that comes into it. When you just rely upon praise, um, praise just tells you that all I care about is what you can do, not yeah, who you are. Like an outcome. Mm-hmm. And so I want to not have my kids be hungry for approval where they look to me for every treat. Um, how am I doing, mom? You know, you have a kid, look at this. Dad, <laughs> hey, do you like this? Do you think I did a good job on this? Yeah. And then they look for you for every little thing on how, evaluate my performance rather than having them look at themselves and say, how do you feel? And just as it happened this morning where my son wrote this paper for, he's in seventh grade and he spent a lot of time on it. He loved it. He loved the whole process. And afterwards he goes, I hope my teacher likes this. And I went to him, but how do you feel you like it? Because it's more important on how you feel about your effort. Regardless what she's It took him weeks to write this paper. And I said to him this morning, he goes, he said, mom, I got the grade. It was a hundred percent. I said, that's fantastic. But even if the teacher wouldn't have liked it, it's more important that you liked it and you yeah, did your very best that's job great. on it. That's um, huge. It's huge because I want them to know that uh, they don't want to just look for parents and depend upon them for how they should feel about themselves. Right, right. Yeah. Um, chapter four, you talk about the ABCs of parenting. Mm-hmm. Like what are the ABCs? Uh, acknowledge yeah. it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, beware. Beware. <laughs> and and uh, yes. Change. Yes. So here it is. It starts out with the ABCs in Chapter 4 talking about the two different kinds of parenting. There's more, of course, than this. But I just yeah. kind of contrast the pirate parenting and the positive parenting. Hmm. Uh, the pirate parenting are those who raise their kids, you know, like a pirate. You're Arg. Being, arg. You're punitive. You're forceful. Walk the plank. Exactly. Your goal is control. Um, kids act out of fear than love. Yeah. And um, they don't have a lot of regard for themselves because it's all about pleasing the captain of the ship. <laughs> and then you've got po- positive parenting where the goal is nurturance, self-discipline, respect. Um, you want your child to have emotional social ma- social maturity. So out of that, we have what's called the ABCs or the five guidance strategies. Now, the ABCs goes with the p- pirate parenting. Okay. This is what a pirate who um, – and this is called the authoritarian t- parenting out there in the right. world um, – but pirate parenting is more about authoritarian practices. Just telling them how it is. Yeah. They have control. They're a dictator. They make others walk the, walk the plank if they question their authority. It's, you know, obey me, you know, yeah. no questions asked. Um, it also is ripe for mutiny. Um, you know, true. President Woodward Wil- Wil- Wilson said the seed of revolution is repression. I mean, he knows in yeah. governments and in Don't anything, when you are repressing the voice of the people, they're going to revolt. And that's what kind of a parent. You know, pirate parent will create in their home. And so A is for authoritarian. Um, B is what happens when you are that type of a parent. You box in. B is for boxing huh. in. You box in yourself because if you say, oh, it's true. Huh? You say, you know, this is this is you're, you're grounded because you did this. Then you find out later the child didn't do that. Uh, Who's ever been wrongly accused out oh, there? Oh my gosh, you're so day. mad. Yeah, yeah, you're so mad. I didn't do it. Yeah. But because the parent says you were wrong and now you have to have this punishment, I can't go back on my word no. because I'm always right. The parent, the pirate is always right, <laughs> and so you can never back up and say I admit my mistakes. And so the child is so resentful because they know you're wrong, plus now they have to suffer for right. being wrongly accused. Oh, it's a bad situation. And even if, yeah, and if you've reacted and you're just reacting, now you're stuck. Now you're stuck. Uh-huh. Ugh, and boxed in. you're boxed in as a parent and then the child is boxed in because now they are in this kind of this, let's say, a boxing ring and you're saying, you know, you are going to, you know, you're wrong and the child either has to concede and go to their corner or they're going to put up their dukes, they're going to put on, and they're going to be in the boxing ring, and they're going to Huge. fight you. Let's take a break, come back, mm-hmm. and learn more about uh, pirate parenting. Yeah. The five the ABCs, authoritarian we've talked about, boxed in. We'll come back, find out what C is in the pirate parenting. By the way, this is all in the book. Keep it real and grab a plunger. Julie K. Nelson will be joining us. She's the real deal, folks. She's the she's – the, uh, what do we call you? The teen whisperer. <laughs> the mom bomb the or mom the ch- bomb, child whisperer. Child whisperer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, good. she's the real deal, folks. We'll take a break. Back more with Julie Nelson right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house is Julie K. Nelson, the author of the book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. She's also the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power. She's one of our great contributors. She's on the show all the time. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. Julie, it's the real deal. 
Hey, you're, you're the real deal. You're the real deal. No, you. Okay. James is the real deal. That's right. James <laughs> just got all excited. We woke him up. We James, woke him up. James has to stay up late. He's dating and he, you know, you got to stay up late with each other. When uh-huh. you're married, you'll just go home and go to bed. Yeah, 10 o'clock and you're like, wow. <sighs> I'm exhausted. Now Let's go to bed. You know, he's got to sit there and talk to the future in-laws. Mm-hmm. Pretend like he's really... <laughs> Engaged in the conversation. It's hard, James. Not that that happens. Just hypothetically. He's going quiet. Um, Here's the deal. In your book, we were just talking about the pirates. Again, the pirate parent is Is authoritarian. authoritarian. Uh We end up boxing ourselves in because Mm -hmm. we kind of react. So that's the A. The A is your authoritarian and uh, that's the pirate parenting. Then B is you're boxing yourself in and the child because the child has to react because somehow they're now, they're confined and they have to decide if they're going to fight you or if they're just going to concede and go to their corner. Don't fight a pirate. No, no. And then C. So we've got A, B, and now C. So now there's some kind of now a a choice to make. And so that means um, C is for counteract. Um, So the child's going to counteract. They're going to fight against you. The parent imposes their will over the child's. Um, They're losing ground. The parent's going to feel like, oh, now I've got to box back. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to counteract and we're going to engage in this fight. So now the fight begins. Um, So So I I counteract you. You counteract me. Yeah. We just got to keep So the child does something. Okay. So the child does something. The parent says, okay, now. So, you know, you uh, have to, you know, do this job. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, make me. And the parent's like, oh, yeah. And uh-huh. then they're like doing this. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. now you're grounded for a year. Then the child says, oh, yeah, well, I hate your guts. Now we're just escalating. No, James and I did the same thing this morning. Uh-huh. It was horrible. Do you remember that, James? Yeah, I do. So do you feel like I'm a pirate parent? Pirate radio shot. Yeah, host. yeah. Pirate host. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yep. Okay. I'm sorry. Really? Nah. Oh. Arg! <laughs> Get off me back. He, uh, we counteract all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you, you have to one up each other. Yeah. That's the fighting child. Now the f- child who doesn't counteract is going to counteract oftentimes through doing something that's. Uh, yeah, he goes to his room, builds a bomb. Yeah, yeah. They're going to do something, you know, passive aggressive, yeah. something. There, but they're they're thinking some way to get revenge. Um, you never know how it's going to come out. No, that's yeah. scary. Uh, so there's going though that's the bad. So let's talk about the five. The five good, the positive parenting, the the things you can do instead of being the pirate parent. Do the ABCs. Um, the first one is give reasonable choices. I think you can get rid of a lot of conflict um, with a child because a child just wants some power. Mm-hmm. And if you take all the power as a pirate parent, then they are going to find ways to get some power. I mean, kids just need power from day yeah, one. Give them a choice. They need choices. So if parents, if you're ever thinking about giving an order, a dictate, think, how can I phrase that to give the child some uh, you know, power? Um, it might be, uh, you know, uh, we're going to have dinner in a, you know, 30 minutes. Do you want to set the table now or would you prefer to help clean up afterwards? Yeah, there you so go. you get some cooperation, but not like, turn off that video game right now, get up here at stairs and, and, and set that table for dinner. And that's a pirate parent. So yeah. give them some choices. What if the choice is like obviously fake? So would you rather live... <laughs> or would you rather um would you or would you rather just sit there? <laughs> I mean like that's just you gotta get a real choice. Yeah. Because they, to- they, they're they're learning that there's consequences, but then you got to follow through, don't you? Yeah, you do. And but I'm telling you, there's so much cooperation that can happen if you just have a child have some choices. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I might say they might say nothing. I'm like, well, that doesn't work, you know, because we all have to contribute. Go ahead and play your video game. If you'd rather help clean up after dinner, that's great. Or would you want to just come, you know, spend five minutes setting the that's table? Great give them, give them some choices. Yeah. A two year old. I mean, why do you say here's the coat to wear? 
when we're going outside. Hurry, get this coat on. And, and then the, you child's, fight him. the child's tantruming because they don't want to wear that coat. Well, why not say, here's two, two, two coats. Which one? Right. Which coat do you want to wear? And then they look at the coats and they, all of a sudden you've distracted them by saying, oh, I have a choice. Oh, I, oh, I, I want to choose that one. Uh-huh. Um, and they put the coat on. And then that'll eliminate the other fights down the road. Yeah, exactly. It's so it's just one way to, to help the child to feel like they're empowered. Number two is to focus on the positive rather than negative. I love this. Say yes whenever possible and make your nose be yeses. So if a child says, um, hey, mom, can I hang out with my friends after school? You're like, yeah, sure. Let's see. You've got some homework to do. When do you think you'll get that done? Probably, what, 430? Yeah, tell them 430. That'd be great. <laughs> That's great. See, you just you snuck, it, you in snuck it in there. He's like, so oh, so. So I'm not playing after. Wait, wait. No, you, you're totally at 4.30. <laughs> no, totally you are. 4.30 is after school. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as your homework's done. You know, you you, you phrase it so that your yeses are yes as often as oh, possible. Oh, you're the devil. Uh, no, and then you say yes whenever possible. I mean, if some parents are like, their their gut reaction always, no, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I say no a lot. Stop yourself from that and say, examine and say, why? Is it really important you say no to that? I mean, okay, no that you don't, you know, go out yeah. there and, you know. No, put the gun away. Put the gun away. But other things you can say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And there's some things we can say yes to that we're just so used to saying no. That's true. Um, so that's another one. And then number three, give your child some self-reflection opportunities. Um, rather than just saying, um, you know, you're driving us all crazy, stop teasing your sister. What other choices could you be making that would make everyone yeah. happier right now? Think about what it's like to have your brother just doing that to you right mm-hmm. now. That's hard. Mm-hmm. Give them some choices cool. for, for self-reflection as well rather than telling them, you're driving us crazy. Go to your room. Knock it off. You know, the knock it off. We love to say yeah. knock it off. Don't make me pull over. Yeah, yeah. What else could you be doing right now to make everyone a lot happier? That's great. Um, or uh, what ideas do you have for homework time that make it more productive? These are all skills they're going to learn anyway. They yeah. have to learn anyway. Yeah. Number four, redirect undesirable behavior with positive assertive guidance. So tell them what to do rather than what yeah. not to do. That's the one thing parents do. Knock it off. Stop that. Stop. Don't do. Don't, don't jump off your your bed. Yeah. Well, now what can they do? So tell them instead of jumping on your bed, why don't you go jump outside on the tramp? Or why don't you do give them something to do? To I do. mean, rather than just take away what All they the can't time, do. We're like stop, stop. Tell them what they can do, and tell and redirect them so that hands to yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, here's a child who's grabbing the dog, yanking on the dog's tail. Instead of saying stop doing that, the dog dog is going to bite you. Say here. Pat the dog like this. See, this is, how you, this is how you do it and show them how to do because they want to touch the dog. Right, right. Show them how to touch the dog instead of just don't hit the dog. These are great. Um, number five, yep. follow through with reasonable consequences. That's what you're saying. You got to have a – if it's not reasonable, you set yourself Don't up. say something crazy like you're grounded for a year. It will be the last time you ever <laughs> talk on your phone ever. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. You're the worst child. I hate you. Today. I mean, you know, you're going to make, make my life miserable. I'll get you back. I mean, these things, these threats are just yeah. nonproductive. No, totally. I, I've – this is going to work with James. Really. I mean – Honestly, yeah. Where have you been, the boy, the boy child? He's our boy child. We raised him from mm-hmm. a pup. We did from. Do you pup. remember? Uh-huh. We found him on the front step of in a basket, broadcast, in a basket, basket. wrapped up, yeah. H- hugging a, a Martinelli's <laughs> cold cider bottle. <laughs> so weird. We're glad he's getting married. Then his wife can oh, continue so the raising glad. process. Well, well done. You did it again, Julie Kay. And we'll have you back to talk more about all these things. But Mm -hmm. you've got – everybody, go check out the book, Keep It Real. Yeah, there's 25 chapters, so it really can address any kind of parent out there, any situation you're in. Um, even got grandparent stuff in there. So I, mean, I love the blended family stuff. It's St- divorced. It's families. the ultimate parenting uh-huh. guide. Uh-huh. And it'll teach you how to use a plunger. Maybe. Keep, keep it real and grab a plunger. Also, go check out 
Julie's website, a spoonful of parenting.com. It's the real deal, my friends. If you are a parent or you have one that doesn't quite do it right, get him this book. It'll help everybody involved. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to the guys from BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what they'll be talking about later on their show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Our last guest, Julie Nelson, brought some cinnamon rolls. (laughs) So good. Anyway, I just wanted to drop that before we go down to BYU Sports Nation, where they don't have cinnamon rolls, and uh, talk to our good friends down there, Spencer and Jerem. Hey, Matt. uh, Thanks for bringing up cinnamon rolls. I'm starving, dude. Dude, these are huge homemade cinnamon rolls. Get them down here right now. They are so good. Please? I mean, yeah, please? No, but I, I you know what guys? I'm worried about your weight. I don't wanna <laughs> I don't I don't want you to fall to temptation like that. You know, Jeremy is pushing one fifty. Te- <laughs> that, that's a tolerable temptation. Now you guys, um maybe we could bring you down a couple. Okay. But you got such a big crew. That doesn't matter. It's about Jeremy and I right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Oh, don't say that. As we say that nervously in front of three yeah, but, camera operators. Yeah, and don't say that because they can really ruin your show. That is very true. They have the power. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This is so scary. Hey, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the game, um, Wisconsin. How about that? Can huh? you believe that? How could I watch that? That was that was on the Sabbath, the, the priesthood session. That's right. Wisconsin. Wait, should I get, have a DVR. Wisconsin should give hope to all BYU fans because totally. a bunch of <laughs> bunch of white guys can win at the highest level. Uh-huh. Okay. You know what it is? I don't want to brag. It's cheese. <laughs> it's cheese. Cheese. It does a body good. <laughs> don't you the truth think? Makes me laugh. Man. <laughs> it's cheese. I mean, some people get all bound up with cheese. No, but not the Wisconsin team. They kill it. Tell you what, man, they they played really, really well. Yeah, they did. I just it was a great game. Hey, it's fun, um, it's fun to watch. You know what? You guys are fun to watch. Hey, thanks, Matt. Here, here's here's what we're talking about on the show today. Two things. Did you hear the NFL just hired their first female NFL referee? I did. What's her name? Yeah. Shannon. Sarah. Sarah. Th- Sarah Thomas, I believe. Sarah Thomas. Sounds made up. I covered an NFL <laughs> preseason game a with name. a female official. Really? What's no that? No kidding. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, and, it's uh, not different. It's just the same game, right? No, that was that was a big deal that she was even officiating a preseason game, and that was back in 2012. Wow, yeah. And so now to have a full-time female official, like, that's – it's certainly progress yeah. for uh, for that uh, area and, of NFL football. And well, maybe they'll all be kinder, gentler. Maybe they'll be more respectful, all the athletes. The fact of the matter is she's, she's good at what she does. She's going to kill it, yeah. Yeah, she's really good at what she does. Well, and to be the first, that's, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's cool. It's kind of like you guys. Yeah, on a, like on YouTube, someone posts something or Instagram, I'm like, first. first. To me, that's a big deal. First yeah. on Twitter. First up. Said it first. Hey, okay, so that's that. That's great news. Here's another one. Uh, this is a, there's a study that was out about a time machine, okay? So if I could put you guys on a time machine and could oh, take man. you back – to the time of Hitler, oh, would you kill him to stop him from doing what he did? 
Yes, and this I would reference. Heavy, I would. Man. I, I would reference. <laughs> How do you say no to that? I, I would reference Laban and Nephi in yeah. doing so. So you'd go to some church reference. You go to scriptures. Okay. <laughs> yes. You justify it that way, uh, Jerem. I didn't get your answer. It's hard to say no. Okay, you're both wrong. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that kind of study. Um, no, but what it is is the guys are more likely to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'd kill him," but the women are more likely to say, "Oh, they're more likely to have issues with that." Should we really kill someone? And then you're like, well, it's Hitler. I don't know. Should we stop what he did? See, that's the difference. I just, I'm just, guys, this is the depth that we go into on our show. Hitler. Yeah, you've gone next well, level. You've gone next level. Well, the, well, this is like watching the movie Valkyrie. Yeah, it is. That's a great The whole movie, you're like, yeah, yeah, get him. Get yeah, him. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. <laughs> and then <laughs> you realize, no, you're not. They, they're not going to get him. Oh, they not going to work. Why yeah. am I still watching this? See, that's why the time machine's better because then you didn't have to waste, you know, 10 bucks. I would go to 1855 and hang out with Doc Brown and Marty McFly in the Old West. Would you really? Is that where you'd go? Okay, no, time point 21 gigawatts. No, I just, where, where would you really go? Where would I really go? And, and I'm just going to take one off the table that I know you'd go to because of Easter, Passover, all of that. You can't go to sure. time okay. of Christ. Sure. Hey, should we make it sports? Like if you could yes. see one okay, BYU yes. moment. Oh, okay. BYU moment. Okay. What would it be, Jerem? Yeah. Well, the, probably McMahon and the comeback. The Miracle Bowl. Yeah, oh, 1980 Holiday Bowl. That'd be cool. Probably that. 80, hey, how about that was in the fall, and then in, in uh, March, Danny Ainge had a shot against Notre Dame. That's where I would have gone. That right would have been the season where I would like to have enjoyed them. Holy cow. Yeah, well, we, we, it was just going to be a that. day. It was going to be an afternoon, but you just turned it into a season, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, one You're day. a time machine hog. You're backing up the line for the time L- machine. Listen, I got Biff's almanac. We need some I'm going to make plutonium. me a ton of money. <laughs> Bet on these games. You'll never be wrong. You'll never be wrong. Make you'll like make millions. A Make like a tree and leaf. <laughs> oh, jeez. McFly, hello. Hey, Spence, you, I didn't hear your answer. Uh, for a BYU sports moment, yeah. I would have to say the Miami game in 1989. I would have liked to be there yeah, uh, to cool. watch Ty Detmer essentially lock up the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> See, the sad thing is I've lived through all of these. In 90? I'm sorry. 90. That's how old. That's how young it, I am. 90, that's right. 90. It was September of 90. 90. I was Man. like, didn't they get creamed in 89? Yes, they did. You know, it, no, it was 91. Actually... Guys, my favorite BYU moment that I would go back to in a time machine is when Jerem shaved his head. <laughs> hey, I, I've got mini bangs now, by the way. You do? Yeah. Like little... I, wore a, I wore a hat this morning. It's opening day, so I wore my Mariners hat and jersey. Little bangs? Um, in our meeting. I and Jerem's hair was affected. I, I can't wear those on the show. Um, Rights, <laughs> you know, logos issues. But yeah, my, my like matted hair down. And stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm almost oh, back. Oh, I can see it. I can see it. On I'm the... like Jordan with the Wizards. I am almost oh. back. Wow, you are. You, what is that? Almost half an inch of growth on the bang area. <laughs> I like she, your banks. She bang. She bang. <laughs> Ricky Martin. <laughs> my, my trainer on my mission was nicknamed Elder Mariano. Or he was Elder Mariano, nicknamed Elder uh, Hickey Martin, Ricky Martin, because at a talent show, Did he, he dance? uh, danced like Ricky Martin. He was famous in our See. mission. <laughs> See how that goes, guys. Yeah, yeah. classic. Well, uh, again, we, we try to bring you a little uh, depth. Not that you, you need it. Actually, you. But you took that into a whole different direction. That's fantastic. That's what makes your show great. Um, have a great show today. We didn't even talk about what you're talking about. Do you have time? Who cares? Uh, Give yeah, us 20 10 seconds. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> what is the definition of, of elite? Mm. And is Mitch Matthews, 6'6", mm-hmm. 220-pound, I think, yeah. receiver for BYU, will he be elite? And Christian mm. Stewart will join us in studio. David Nixon on the phone. Plus, we have some insight into 
uh, BYU's punting situation. Normally you don't care about that, but BYU doesn't have a scholarship punter right now. There is someone who Ooh. is on campus now who will be the punter, it appears. Interesting. Uh, I think fans know, but he's not on the team right now. Yeah. That's, that's, that's going to be a great show. Hey, we a hope. little advice, Jerem. Don't bring up your bangs with all of those elite athletes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it might get you killed. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, have a great show, boys. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, guys. Take Dr. care. Dr. Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wow. She bang. She bang. That was the greatest show. The greatest song. We had to pull that up. That's that's just heaven. <sighs> you know, they have so much fun. But now I've got to decide if we're going to take some sweet rolls down to them. Yeah. This whole plate of sweet rolls over here. And we have a big crew out there that helped yeah. put the show on. I, I feel bad. Liana Tan was her birthday last week. We didn't even mention her birthday. We tried to get a guest on to speak on birthdays uh-huh. specifically, but For it didn't work Liana, out. But yeah. we didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mention it. And I went out there and she was sad. She was like crying. She was listening to the whole 9 o'clock hour. Yeah. Or the last hour of the show waiting for you to mention. I know. And you did. And then she's like, you didn't even mention. I said, I mentioned it in the seven hour. I mentioned it in the first hour and the second hour. So you might want to go listen to the whole show. And then, <laughs> and then she, while you're listening, I'll run. Yeah. And- so we're mentioning it now. And we'll go in and say we, we made some sweet rolls for her. Very nice. Julie K. Nelson made sweet rolls. It doesn't matter her. where they came from. No. We no, thought of her when we saw the plate. <laughs> 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 I totally thought. Oh, that's there. There's Liana's birthday present right there. Right there. Um, so good show. We learned about politics, right? We learned about marriage and how to create a union, a joyful kind of union. We learned about parenting. Bada boom, bada bing. Everything James needs to know to make it through the next parenting days with a plunger. Yeah, boy, you have no idea. I bought one this weekend. Did you? Yeah. Wait till you wait till your son's old enough to sprint through the house looking for the plunger. Yes. Screaming, Dad, I need a plunger. I need a plunger. I took the plunger at the grocery store and I tossed it in the air and let it flip and then land plunger side Did down. It stick? My kid was just astounded at how that stuck and he couldn't move it from the floor. Wow. Yeah, he just. You're pretty good with a plunger. Yeah, I do plunger tricks. Really? When did that start? That was a young age. <laughs> Yeah, I used to play with a plunger. I used to pretend like it was a gear shift. Yes. Did you ever do that? Yes. Until my mom's like, do not. Yeah, don't mess with that. that. (laughs) That's gross. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, sorry. My bad. I was unaware. I do find it interesting that Sports Nation is going to spend time talking about punters. Why? It's like the most boring position on the field. Well, until it all goes wrong. That, That player signifies the fact that you have failed. Because you're punting. Because you're punting. Yeah. Three and out. The out is the punter. He's on the field because your offense failed to be successful in their sole purpose. That's true. That's true. There was that University of Utah Pac-12 punter. Yes. It was like the punter of the the guy, whatever, special teams guy yes. of the year or whatever. But he was like so good that you wanted to punt. I mean, you're, you're still a failure because you didn't get it what wasn't, you wanted. It wasn't ideal. Yeah. You wanted to score, right. but if you had to punt, he would help you yeah. get better field position. That's yes, it. absolutely. But, you know, the punter. You know what? I could punt. Of course. That's what I'm trying to kind of How far to. does the average punt go in college? 40? Yeah. 40 yards? I but, I mean, you have to get hang time, too, so your guys can run underneath Oh, it. you can't just skim it across yeah, the Yeah, you can't just, like, you know, line drive it. the thing. I'd pull my hammies. 
I don't want to try. Now, there's a, there's a skill to it, but just the idea that the, when the punter comes on the field, it's because the offense failed. Yeah. Plus, they look so dainty. I like the big lineman puncher that looks like the, yes. kind of the tight end. You bring the guy out that just, just got done got a huge leg. eating because mm-hmm. that's what he has to do to maintain that 300-pound weight as a kicker. Well, that's, you know, we never talk about <laughs> kickers on the show. There's a reason. You talk about a kicker when they mess up. That's it. That's really when you. But find I feel out. bad for the guy because the BYU needs is they need a, a scholarship player there. Why? Just because coaches really don't see that as a scholarship position. Can't you, usually, can't you just go get a soccer player and then just train no, them up? No, you can. You, a soccer player would have the skills, but do they have the touch? Yeah, it's true. You need you need to have someone who can drop the football in a specific spot. That's the same argument we've had about James, though. Right. He's got the skills, but does he have the touch? Right, and sometimes. He's dump trucking through the show. Yeah. There he goes. Oh, I think we're done. <laughs> he's booting us. That's it, my friends. Uh, there's the guy. Again, he's got the skills, but missed the touch. Um, we're out of here, folks. Thanks for joining us again. Back tomorrow, more ideas, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Hope to talk with you again tomorrow.